Attention! Welcome to the Film Mages Podcast, where the popcorn is our ammunition, the couch is our foxhole, and the cinema is our place of worship. Now let me see your war face! Should old film majors be forgot and never brought to light? Should old... <laughs> Hello. Happy New Year's, oh film major happy listeners. Fucking happy fucking New Year. Happy New Year's. There we go. Coming, I was coming in a little hot. You super yeah, hot. I was coming in a little bit hot. I am Zach. I'm, I'm Alexis. Yeah, and you made those Alexis... In person with me, yeah. <laughs> Not in person. Not. I am. I am. Yeah. I am in a far, far land right now. Yeah, Mick. What's going on? Uh, what is going on? I am. I am still in England right now. Uh, I've been here is for like two and a half weeks. Wow. It's been fantastic. Wow. Been a great trip. Um, yeah, it's been great. It's been cool exploring this country. I've never been here before. Got to hang out in London. I've been drinking the whole time, um, doing Hell pub yeah, crawls, uh, eating yeah. some great food. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a damn good time. Lovely. Yeah, Alexis, how were your holidays? How've they been? You know, my holidays were all right. I went and saw Ferrari with some of my family because it, it literally prefaced this because they were like, should we go, should we go see Iron Claw? And I was like, yeah, no, definitely go see the Iron Claw. And I was like, me and Ellie are going to see Ferrari because we've already seen the Iron Claw. And I was like, you should definitely go see that movie because I know this movie is not going to be great. Because your mom going... will talk in the theater. Oh, well, my mom didn't come, thank God. <laughs> I mean, th- I'm sorry, mom. Hello, <laughs> Hello Dolores. Happy um, New Year. <laughs> um, she didn't come. It was my dad and my nephew and his girlfriend um, and me and my sister. But, you know, I was like, you know, I'm literally going to go see this for my mans. <laughs> like, make I, no mistake. <laughs> I also went and saw Ferrari. I liked it quite a bit more than you did. Uh, I loved the last 30 minutes of I, it. I really thought that, like, so I, I read your Letterboxd review. I don't totally, I felt like that was a pretty focused biopic. That did the thing <laughs> that I like what a biopic does, which is it focuses in on one significant event. Yeah. And, like, how that character deals with it. Like, I, I also watched Maestro, which is not going to appear on my top ten of the year list. Yeah. And, like, I I respect it. I Clearly, that's, like, a passion project for Bradley Cooper, who I think is, like, a talented director. And, like, after watching him in uh, Nightmare Alley and particularly Licorice Pizza, yeah. I'm like, that dude is a fucking seriously talented actor. Yeah. Uh, but Maestro does do the thing of, like, spanning a person's whole life and... I, I don't know. I feel like that kind of makes a movie a little bit of Master of None. Um, well, the cinematography was beautiful. Oh, my so. God, yeah. And yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess I just, like, wasn't that imp- I think I was just bored in the first half of Ferrari. That was kind of the problem with it. I was like, what's going on? Cargo fast. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, I'm starting my new play next Friday. Okay, excellent. I have to come see this one because... Oh, yeah. Spoiler. So I went up to San Luis Obispo because my dad and his new wife came down there. And, uh, you know, I, me and Sloan had a free weekend, so we went up. Um, 
And I was like, oh, this is great that you guys are coming down because I can shoot over from San Luis Obispo to Fresno and see Alexis in a Christmas carol. But Alexis is too fucking famous. And it was sold out. LOL. Sorry. It was sold out. It's a Christmas show. And you were like trying to come literally the day before Christmas. It wasn't the day before Christmas. <laughs> so I'm in Amadeus, right? Oh, and fuck yeah. Show, I, show Mick. Let's see here. Um, can you... Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah, it's giving Visual Marie Antoinette like so much. Like even backstage the other day, because I run around, I run around the stage quite a bit. Um, in the first act, I was like so sweaty, and so I literally just like hiked my skirts up, like during my or, like five minute break between the acts, and I was just like, oh my god, I just need some air. <laughs> like multiple people walked by, and they were just like, "That's a look. That's very her." And I was like, "I know. I'm just really hot, guys." Boy Sweat Alexis coming at you. Right, that's right. That's goddamn right. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, Mick, I heard that you watched a new release. Yeah, no, the the only... I've been so busy with traveling, and then the previous episode we talked about how I was dealing with COVID during a self-quarantine, so I have not been able to make it to the cinema, but I did see uh, the new Chicken Run movie, Um and uh, it's it's a claymation film, and I'll put it to that way. It's getting good reviews, and I'm not sure why. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. It's a movie. I've mostly just been watching um, like Harry Potter films, uh, but uh-huh. softly. And what I mean by softly is like I'll put it on and I'll fall asleep, and I'll wake up and it's ending. <laughs> That's kind of been <laughs> it's my kind of perfect. They're, yeah, they're, it's pretty. It's pretty much meant they're peacefully for that. not peaceful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then of course I watched Muppet Christmas Carol uh, on, on New Year's yeah. Eve. Cute. So that's Stone been that's been the extent classic. of of my of my movie going, which is why there are going to be certain titles that I can almost guarantee you would be on my top ten that are not there just by virtue of having not seen them. So when I get back to L.A. next week. That's all I'm doing. I'm just going to try to catch up on films that I know I need to see before they leave theaters. Yeah. I mean, I can do like a rapid fire, just some of the ones that I saw that aren't going to be on my top 10. Uh, Sure. And then I have a story. Okay. Yeah. So I saw Wonka. Wonka. Oh, I like that. Oh my god! During during the fucking Christmas Carol play, my friend is always like telling me a line before I go and dance with this guy. And (laughs) one of the last nights, her comment was, "Make sure you're not wonking on his willy." (laughs) And then I had to like look him in the eyes. This like fifty year old man, like the whole time that I danced with him. You wonk on his willy a little. (laughs) I have uh, continuously been anytime i've talked about potentially going to see wonka with sloan uh-huh. i've said uh i'm gonna go get my willy wonked by timote uh, <laughs> that's, so, you know what i that's valid great minds yeah <laughs> um i yeah and then i saw eileen which was anne hathaway uh, yeah, and thomas and mckenzie you know i liked it i think it i think it could have been better but i did like it i think i i wished there was more which i think that that might be a good thing about it. Yeah. Um, and then I did see Maestro and I, I mean, Carrie Mulligan, fucking fantastic. I did see the color purple. Really, oh, I miss that one. really loved that one. Um, and then this movie called Passages, um, 
which has uh you, you have you ever seen the blue is the warmest color no Okay, well, the act one of the actresses that's the one that's not Leah Sedoy. Uh, okay, <laughs> she's also in this movie, and uh, I've always wanted to see her more. And Ben Wishaw, the guy who, yeah, who plays Paddington, and was also in Women Talking last year that I had a fat crush on, and then yeah, they were yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, he's gay," and I was like, "That's so classic, classic you. me, classic." Um, yeah, yeah, he's also in this movie, and he's actually playing a gay guy, so that was. So those are kind of all the the non-list movies, yeah. Okay. Well, as I said, I have a fucking story. Woo! It's not a good story. Oh. Uh, it's a story <laughs> about my worst film-going experience ever. Oh, no. And that was last night when I went to try and go see The Boy and the Heron. Oh. And I got about 30 minutes in. Movie was just kind of starting to ramp up. I yeah. was like, it's been a lot of boy. Yeah. But we're starting to get a lot of heron. Did you watch the dub? Yeah. Pattinson sounds <laughs> fucking insane. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, the minute that the heron shows up and I heard the voice Robert Pattinson was doing, I was like, that's what we're going Wait, with. Wait, Robert Pattinson yeah. voices oh the heron? Yes. Well, so uh, here's the thing, is that is that typically that type of a role would go to like a much older actor, you know? Yeah. And which is the case in like the subbed version, but yeah. they were like, damn, Pat, you really fucking got that <laughs> you shit got a down. Take on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was uh, very much enjoying it. And then someone in the back row uh, screamed something and slammed on the wall and everyone right beside them started booking it. And then the whole theater fucking booked it because they thought there was going to be a shooting. Uh, oh. And I would like to get my hands on this person and do a real fucking shooting to them because that oh. is not fucking acceptable. Caused a complete fucking panic. Uh, I got my ticket refunded. You know, when everybody fucking booked it out of the theater, I got separated from young Jacornbean. Uh, <laughs> and like, Stop. I was like, where the fuck is my buddy? If there's an actual shooting going on, I don't really want to call them in case their phone goes off in the theater. Yeah. So if you're the kind of person who pulls that shit in America, especially, I hope that you get hit by a car. Wait, so they I just, they just screamed slow. and they hit like their, <laughs> they hit their hand like against the wall. Yeah, I, I didn't see what happened because they were in the back row. Right. I just heard yelling, loud noise, people fucking running. Wow. Um, Where was this? Yeah. Uh, at our fucking stomping grounds, the Universal AMC. Oh, this is a Universal. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Is it, wait, so that, that incident you had last year where you heard someone what sounded like them, like, clicking a gun yeah, together. That that was also at Universal, but that was less, like, I, I don't know what that person was doing. Right. But that, you know, that's not malicious. Interesting. This was fucking malicious is like, and designed to cause a panic. Right, this is like someone yelling fire in the auditorium. Wow, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. That sucks. So, uh, Alexis is taking a look at uh, the poster that Jacoby designed. Oh, nice. There's a uh, Godzilla minus one, like, classic type poster <laughs> that Jacoby made. Oh my god! Yeah, I yeah no, I was like, oh, that's a Godzilla. Oh, oh no, that's the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
I really like it. Yeah, Jacoby has been like, Jacoby's been doing a lot of our edits on the Instagram. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's been seen. <laughs> yeah, they made me into the train. <laughs> I saw that. No, it's fine. He hasn't put me in any of them, but that's fine. No, I don't mind, you know? Listen, well, all in good time. In uh, good time, You know, yeah. definitely, for, definitely for this episode, actually. Um, but yeah, that was my viewing experience of The Boy and the Heron, which... Doubly fucking sucked because that would have been my 60th new release of the year. It would have been a clean fucking 60. Damn. Uh, So, yeah, to the motherfucker who did that, come find me. Come find me in these streets. I'll kill you. Uh, Damn. Yeah. But uh, I will be going back to the theater next week since I have free tickets. uh, And I will be seeing the boy in the heron because I'm not going to let the terrorists win. And that's my story. Hell yeah. Um, other films I saw, I saw the uh, Freebie original Xmas starring Robbie Amell and Leighton Meester when I was in New Jersey. Good God. Uh, it is barely a film. My condolences. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it is a movie that's like so bad that you can kind of like watch it in a state of awe. Right. Um, let's see, what else did I see? Uh, oh, I saw The Zone of Interest, which uh, is not going to appear on my top ten, but I did think oh, was very good. I really want to see that. I really want to see that. That's it's right a, up there like, for me. haunting, haunting movie. There's a movie that's supposed to, I think it's already here in L.A. It's called All of Us Strangers. Oh, I missed that as well. And I'm convinced that it would be on my top ten. I, What's that about? <laughs> I haven't even heard about that. You don't even need to know. Here's what you need to know about it. You know the guy who plays the hot priest in Fleabag? Yes. He's the main character. Oh, and is this then with Paul somebody Mistel? who plays Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen promotions yeah, for every... this, but it's it's gay. It has my man's the hot priest. We love it the hot priest. It has my man's Paul Mescal. It, is Paul it has Mescal fucking queer? Jamie Bell. It has Claire Foy. Like is he queer? Huh? In real is Paul, life? Yeah. N- no, no, no. I don't oh, think okay. so. No, he was or, he was dating Phoebe Bridgers. He was dating Phoebe Bridgers. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Before she jumped ship for Bo Burnham. Your other man, Mr. Burnham. Uh, yeah, my other man. I just love the white men. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your curse. That's Alexis's burden. I love that. I was scrolling a TikTok earlier today, and I saw this beautiful picture of a of a Christmas feast at a Mexican family talking about the one token white man that is at every uh, always uh, me. Mexican family gathering. Apparently, it's that's a thing. Yeah, that's been yeah, you, there's, buddy. There's yeah. always one that. person. There's always one person that is like exclusively only dates like white men, and that's me and my family. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think my sister Natalie has ever dated a white man, and she's right for that. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, she, has she good is, taste. and she's not because her her other dating uh, yeah, options okay, are not. That's, right, that's, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, I'm not saying mine were that much better, but you know, she, ha- she has more ethnic taste. Let's just put it that way. It's not necessarily better. <laughs> Oh my god. LOL. Uh, yeah, no, every time I've seen the trailer for All of Us Strangers, uh-huh. literally the thought in my head has been Alexis is going to fucking love this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, this is That's 100% true. Alexis core. Yeah, yeah, it really is, um, truly. It's like, it's about, it's like, it's yeah. got some family drama in it. It's got some queer shit in it. Like, it checks all my goddamn yeah, boxes. I, it has t- an Irish man. Every time they a do man. a promo on Instagram where they're like holding the green 
and red flags like introducing each other, mm-hmm. I have always thought like I know Alexis is gooned to this. I know that she's... I've, been wait- I've, I've literally been waiting since the end of last year for this movie to drop, and I was no so shit. upset that it oh, hadn't wow. dropped yet in Fresno. Tragic. Pretty. Super tragic. Um, other things I saw, uh, I was... I had showed Jacoby some movie, and then I was sitting <laughs> in our living room, and then I saw that uh, Tubi was recommending a film called Fart the Movie. Oh, nice. Um, so I watched Fart the Movie. How was that? Uh, it fucking sucks, but uh, it does feature uh, a child Kesha in it. Uh, features Kesha at like eight years old. Wait, so a young Kesha's really? in Fart the Movie? Yes, yeah. Her mother, I believe, did the music for Fart the Movie. Interesting. <laughs> ah, what a beautiful uh, world. So that was fun. You know, that's one of those moments where didn't know that. I forgot to mention, Mick, I did watch Emily. Oh, did you? What did you think? You know what? I liked it. Not factually correct, but I really, really loved the romance between her and the... I was like, that's... I was like, you know what? I want to be such a good writer that like my words just haunt somebody into like losing all sense of faith in their God that they just like fully just, you know, that's the goal. That's the goal. (laughs) That's the goal right there. You know what? There there was also a moment in the color purple where like it was like insinuated that the plague was coming because Suge Avery came to town and I was like, I want to be so big a hoe someday that I bring the plagues with me. <laughs> I literally leaned over to my sister and whispered that in her ear during the movie. Listen, you know, you put in your 10,000 hours and that's what you get. <laughs> um, yeah, what else did I see? Uh, I saw a couple of movies that I feel very confident are going to come up later, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention them. Yeah. Um, and I watched Four Christmases. Uh, which is a fucking Republican ass flick. Um, that's uh, <laughs> didn't didn't particularly enjoy it, uh, but I did watch it the night after I watched Xmas, so uh, I enjoyed it uh, probably wow. more than I might have. I'm so otherwise. Dis- I'm so disappointed that none of us watched Candy Cane Lane. What's Candy Cane Lane? Isn't that isn't that the name of the new Eddie Murphy film that came out, like the direct to Netflix Christmas movie? Oh wow! Yeah, uh, I feel like Xmas kind of filled the candy cane lane slot. Uh, oh, okay. In terms of uh, the terrible new Christmas movie that Sloan and I watched. Yeah. Last year it uh, was Falling for Christmas, which I liked considerably more than Xmas. Oh boy! Mm. Also, uh, I think uh, I think we should give a little little shout out and appreciation to our, our recently dearly departed Tom Wilkinson. Uh, who passed away at far too young an age. I was actually really sad to learn about that yesterday. What the hell? He's uh, Alexis. Tom Wilkinson plays uh, the director of the IMF in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Uh, He's also in Batman Begins. (gasps) No. Yeah, he's one of of those guys. Yeah, he's uh, one he, of one of our favorite that guys. Yeah, he's in this. He's in a really good movie with Minnie Driver. I forget the name of it, uh, but it's like it's kind of like about the the person who invented photography back in the eighteen hundreds. And um, okay, Tom Wilkinson. He actually yeah. like he appears like completely nude while he's like posing in this like old lithograph picture. And it's actually it's a very beautiful <laughs> film. 
Well, um, you know, the you know on Letterbox how you can select your four movies that are like your movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of them's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind for me, and that's he's Tom Wilkinson. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I was really, I was Rest really peace, shocked man. to learn that yesterday. That's sad. It's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, an, an absolute icon. Truly. Um, well, do we uh, do we have anything else going on? I feel like as you, if you've been listening to this show since last year, you might uh, have a sense, or if you you know looked at the runtime of this episode, you might have a sense that this is going to be a very long one. Um, buckle the fuck up, motherfuckers! Yeah, buckle up, fucklehead. <laughs> um, so we might. If there's nothing else pressing, we might uh, want to wrap this segment up. I'm down. Zane. Let's step Nick, out. Anything else? No, I'm good. Let's hop out of what's. Let's hop out of what's going on. And we're back. Well. So it's that time again. Mm-hmm. It's that time of year where we talk about the best movies of the year. Yeah. And uh, the way that we did this last year is I, I thought went well and I'd like to do it again, which is uh, we all are going to go around the table and list our uh, five honorable mention films. Doesn't have to be in a ranked order. Mine are. Um, and I listened back to the episode. And since I went last last year, I'm going to go first. Um, you listened to the whole three-hour episode? Well, no, I don't think I listened to the whole three-hour episode, but I got up to that point to kind (laughs) of... Yes, it was three hours. That's why I was like, oh my god, I really gotta plan my day right for this fucking thing. Yeah. Um, And so, I thought that last year was a, like, solid year for movies, um... I think the thing that uh, some might find surprising and that I kind of found surprising is that I did not find 2023 to be a uh, particularly good year for horror movies. Yeah, um, same here. I was going to talk about that. The, I will. The, you'll only hear uh, one horror movie in my top 15, uh, but there is one that's just outside of my top 15 that I'm just going to give a quick shout out to because it was... As I talked about my worst theater-going experience uh, ever last night, so too would I like to talk about my favorite (laughs) theater-going experience of the year, Uh, and that was Evil Dead Rise. Um, I went and saw it with Mick. It was uh, just a fucking blast. I really like that movie. I've seen it a couple of times since. Uh, I saw it twice in theaters, and I saw it once at home. Really, really fun stuff. Before the end roommate moved out, and the end roommate and I watched Evil Dead Rise together. Um, just a fucking blast. The series that never misses continues to not miss. Yeah, uh, that 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 movie is in my honorable mentions, and I gotta say that it, it, it it's a banger. It really it's paced it so well. It goes really hard until, on the effects. Yes. Yeah, literally until yesterday, it was in my uh, honorable mentions. It just got scooted out. But uh, I'm just going to run through my honorable mentions. Uh, you guys do the same. And then if there's any ones that we want to uh, put a finer point on, we uh, we can discuss those. So my honorable mentions. Number 15, Bo is Afraid. Number 14, American Fiction. Number 13, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Number 12, Asteroid City, and number 11, which uh, I literally switched number 11 and number 10 uh, as we were sitting at this table. I've been thinking about it for the past couple of days. 
my number 11 is Past Lives. Oh, wow. Okay. I, was, I literally have not seen any of those except for Past Lives. Okay. <laughs> uh, who would like to rattle through theirs next? Uh, uh, Alexis, go for it. Okay, so, um, yeah, so I'll just, I'll rattle them off. I'm going to start at my number 16, because I, honestly, my 15 and 16, I just, I'm having a really hard time ranking things, guys. Like, well, it's super hard. Fun. I mean, anyway. mine aren't going to be in order, my honorable mentions. I'm just going to go <laughs> okay. shout them out. Yeah, so, Barbie, um... Because I love Barbie, but like there was so many other like really fucking good movies. I was like, you, you just don't make it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, Mission Impossible. Um, we'll <laughs> makes my honorable mention. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> um, Poor Things also makes my honorable mentions. Um, I really it was fun. It was fun. I there's so much sex in it. I yeah. was like, Ooh. oh my goodness. <laughs> um. Uh, of an age, which I would one of the first movies that I saw in the new year in February. Um, really loved that cute little love story there, and it's gay. So, nice, you know I. Love I feel that. like we that's love that. one that's not not getting a lot of attention uh, this time of year. So hell yeah, I shout know, it out. Yeah, no, I really, I really did like it quite a lot. That um, you know, there there was definitely a lot of nuance to it, um, and uh, bottoms. Bottoms is really fun. Uh, I still yeah, have to see it was. That. You really do make yeah. it so fun. I do want to go. Here's the thing is that I had a really hard time ranking a lot of things because I felt like I really wished that I had rewatched yeah. a lot of the movies on my like, yeah. you know, my top 15. There's just no time. I mean, there's just like, no time. we, we have real yeah. lives like this isn't like our job. If it was our job. It feels maybe. like a job sometimes. <laughs> it does okay. feel like a job. I'm glad you're bringing that. Just for really quickly, I don't know about you guys, but every this same thing happened last year when ranking movies, not a good time. It's not oh, no. a good time. I enjoy it. It's stressful no. for me. I don't enjoy it. I'm like, I don't agree with the list that I've created <laughs> myself. I'm like, I, I no, I, I, I'm like staring at my list. Like, I feel like I, I, I'm feeling less confident about my list this year than I did last year yeah, because same. I'm just like, there were so many good movies that I saw, but then I know that there's some that I didn't see. Oh my god. Anyways, so I'm, I, I felt like I was in a panic. I literally was like redoing this list, like even like last night at like two or three in the morning. See, like. <laughs> I, this is the kind of stress that I enjoy because I get to think about all the movies I watched all year. Uh, I do wish there's stuff I really wish I rewatched. Uh, the yeah. big one for me, I wish I had rewatched Bo is Afraid because mm. I think that either would have launched way up my list or plummeted. Yeah. Um, but I do now have it on Blu-ray because I got it as a Christmas oh, wow. present. So nice. I'll, I'll rewatch it at some point. And then um, somehow Killers of the Flower Moon did not make it onto my top ten. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just like, there was just like a few other things. And there's going to be one on my list that you guys are going to be like, what the fuck, Alexis? Why <laughs> is that on that, your list? That, that is the beauty That's of the this beauty, episode. Though. That's, That's why I beauty. like doing this. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. if I may, uh, since you yeah, all man. have, since we're all basically ranking 16 films, I'll do six honorable mentions as well. Uh, number 16, I will do Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, this is the only, yeah. only horror film that will appear <laughs> on my entire list, which is kind of sad, but Evil Dead Rise was a fantastic time, and um, boy, talk about, talk about a great opening. Really rips your head right off. Um, number 15, No Hard Feelings, directed by Gene uh, Stupinski. I thought No Hard Feelings... Um, 
I didn't really like love it the first time I watched it, but I have now seen it three times this year. And it's <laughs> very yeah. it's very wow. quickly becoming that comedy that's like, ah, uh, you know, like what do you want to watch? I don't well, let's watch No Hard Feelings. Like that's a movie everyone can agree yeah. is a good time. That's so fair. And that's kind of You know, me and my sister Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say oh. it's it's nice that you have like a modern comedy that's just like everyone agrees. It's like, oh no, that's like legit pretty fucking funny. Um, so that's yeah. nice. Yeah. I had to give that a shout out. Yeah, me and the, my sister really agreed that like that was like we haven't laughed so hard like out loud with each yeah. other in so long in just like a new comedy. Yeah, the last time I remember a studio comedy kind of doing that is Game Night. Yes, um, like yeah. where it was successful, yeah. and everyone agreed it was funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I really, yeah. I, I wish I had had the the balls to put no hard feelings in my honorable mentions. There, there were just too many. Like, like I didn't think there there aren't as many movies that I gave like as high of ratings this year. But my middle of the list. There's a lot of toss-ups. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. That was my fit. Number 14 for me is uh, Emily, uh, directed by Frances O'Connor, about Emily Bronte. D- yeah. Really beautiful film. Great period piece. Um, I love sort of the supernatural, magical realism that plays into it. Alexis, mm-hmm. you said it's not historically accurate, but that's okay. Um, it's yeah. still dramatically no, I really very liked effective. What- I liked where they took it, to be honest. Yeah. And well, I think Emma did Emma a really Mackie, good job right? in her acting. Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, and again, has, I think, my favorite original score of the year. Um, mm. Let's see. Coming in at number 13, I'm going to have Asteroid City. Uh, I thought that was really, really good. Uh, really funny. Really beautiful film. Uh, number 12, uh, yeah. Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, it was. Yeah, not tsk, like tsk. not the best, uh, you know, biopic, or, you know, the character study that you could have. But um, I just have to give it a shout out because its battle sequences were so yeah, the, superbly crazy. done that I haven't seen something like that done in, in such a long time. And I, you know, I would feel like I wasn't doing my duty if I didn't give that a shout out. And finally, number 11 is Sanctuary, directed by Zachary Wigan. Uh, which is a great, great, almost kitchen sink drama about um, doms and subs and has, I think, one of the most heartwarming, awe-inducing endings of a uh, weird, fucked-up rom-com that I've seen in a long time. Great performances. Really, really great story. So, there you go. Wunderbar. Well, uh, before I get into the top ten of the year... uh, I would like to uh, shout out uh, the movie that surprised me the most this year. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that uh, I did not think was going to end up anywhere near the top of my list. And uh, it's sitting at my number 19. Uh, and that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant <laughs> Mayhem. Uh I have. I think I said this after I watched it. I have fucking no relationship with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I did not consume any sort of media about them when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't really know anything about their whole deal other than that they live in the sewer and their dad's a giant rat. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, like, I, I don't know why I didn't delve into that as a child, because that's a fucking great premise. Uh, but I watched it, and 
Despite Across the Spider-Verse coming out this year, uh, a movie that suffered for me a little bit on a rewatch, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was my favorite animated movie of the year. Uh, I really fucking enjoyed that. It was a blast at the theater. Uh, and, like, it's always great when, like... Uh, listen, as we uh, we have debated recently a couple of film animated films for children that I did not enjoy... Mm-hmm. Uh, I I always like it when a movie for kids is made with a lot of care. Um, yes, so for sure. Yeah, I want to want to shout that out. Can I? We've already like discussed this on a what's going on earlier this year, but hey, just, listen, let's, maybe people let's didn't refer, listen to it. Let's refer back really quick to BlackBerry because that was one that I went into thinking, oh, how could you know this movie about this fucking company be that interesting? But really, BlackBerry Glenn, really fucking good. Yeah, yeah that, Glenn Howerton really fucking knocked that shit out of the park. Say, that don't man's worry, fucking Alexis, hilarious. We'll talk about BlackBerry. Okay, uh, excellent. Okay, well, okay. let's let's all go around and say our number tens of the year. Then okay. uh, I'll start my number ten of the year, which I, again, past lives in this were duking it out for yeah. the past day, and I just I think this movie is a little more unique. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Todd Haynes's May December. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, haven't seen Alexis. it yet. I got to watch that. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, I watched this, like, French movie, like, earlier, like, I want to say, like, Midsummer or something, and it's called, uh, Les Innocents, um, The Innocent, and it's with Louis Garrel, who plays the professor in Little Women, and also, what the fuck is her name? Um, la-da-da, Noemi Merlant, um, Anyways, should they're just phenomenal. Fucking, she, I don't know. It's like kind of a heist movie. Wait, okay, yeah. hold, hold, nice. hold, hold. You'll get into it. Yeah. Well, okay, Mick. Uh, coming in at number 10 is The Creator, directed by Gareth Edwards. Oh. Fuck yeah. That yeah. was, yeah, that's my number 17. Yeah. Um, Re- I re- yeah, right. really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, let's go, let's, let's dive in. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start with May, December. Um, I did not totally know how I felt about this movie when it wrapped. It's, it has a very unique tone. It, it really is, does. <laughs> it is a melodrama. Uh, it's comedic at moments. Um, the moment of... Uh, I mean, people have talked about this a lot online, mm-hmm. yeah. but the moment where Julianne Moore uh, is staring into her fridge... And then there is this incredibly dramatic piano score that just like crashes in and it starts zooming in on her. And then she goes, I don't think we have enough hot dogs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) One of my biggest laughs of the year. Um, So if you don't know what May, December is about, uh, I'm just going to say the premise. Uh, Natalie Portman plays an actress who uh, shows up at the home of Julianne Moore and Charles Melton, who are a married couple. Julianne Moore uh, molested uh, Charles Melton's character when he was 13 and became pregnant with his child. Uh, And then years after she got out of prison, they got married. Uh, And Natalie Portman is, again, going to be playing this character in a film. Uh, So you start to see this relationship kind of unfold and untangle uh, as Natalie Portman pries more into it. Uh, It is a... Two of the movies on my top ten are uh, examinations of the limits of 
true crime as a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that May December does a really good job, like satirizing our obsession with that. Uh, also, as much as I love and had my best supporting actor winner of the year being the gauze in uh, Barbie. Basically all Yo, year. Charles Melton. Charles fucking Melton in this movie. Apparently he was on Riverdale. Yes, uh, yes. Like, for like almost a decade. Yeah. Uh, he gives one of the best performances of the year. Yeah. Uh, for a movie that is playing so much with tone and, you know, is finding comedic elements in this super fucking dark story. His story is played deathly fucking straight and it is really really upsetting and he is just incredible in this movie that scene between him and julianne moore towards the end (gasps) just the the i want to say like the the physicality of how his voice shakes and everything just really made me feel like that moment was so real yeah the way he slouches yeah you can see he's trying to protect himself yeah you know you can see the arrested development yeah it's uh a fucking haunting movie, and I would say uh, the, the biggest maniac in the movie is maybe not who you'd expect. Yeah, no, truly. <laughs> okay, but also, I really, I enjoyed that movie a lot for the, I can only imagine how interesting and fun it was to have a scene, to have scene partners like Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore playing against each other. Yeah. They're they're The energy that they bring when the two of them are together is so interesting. Um, the part where like they're in the bathroom and she's doing her makeup and like kind of almost like becoming her a little bit in these mannerisms. The moment where they're in another bathroom in a restaurant and she says, I've always been naive. Ugh. Oh, that was Ugh. chilling. Ugh. Chilling. One of the most chilling moments of the movie where she says, like, basically that, like, oh, I think that it's been such a blessing in my life. Yeah. And I was like, I was just, I was in shock. But I love the Lifetime movie music. I love it yes. <laughs> so much. Yeah, it, it, like, makes a point to lean into that kind of style to, you know, clue you into what it's commenting on. Um, Also, I didn't really think about it until, like, I saw things online, but that Natalie Portman isn't really a great actress, necessarily. Like, she's probably, like, a B... She is a bad actress. Like, she's, like, a B-rated actress in this world that they've, like, you know, created. And it's, like, you know, that defies your expectation because, like, you see Natalie Portman and you just assume, like, oh, she's playing an actress. You just assume... I think in my mind... You assume she's a good one. She's a good one, you know? But then, like, you hear, like, oh, this is what she's been in. And then... Yeah, and you get that pretty early. Yeah, and then you also get... You know, yeah, you know, I don't want to say too <laughs> yeah. much because Mick, you really should watch it. Yeah, um, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I I am. I don't want to dismiss the performances of Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore because they're fucking fantastic. Yeah. I think it was like. I think there's a like concern that, you know, Charles Melton would get lost kind of in the conversation because Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman are like such. I think you he's know, the tether. people. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy to see there being a lot of conversation and, and, about him. And I think that that really, like, totally just 
cements the whole statement that like his performance was really good is that he despite this being so kind of off in tone throughout like he is still the emotional tether yeah, throughout the he's, entire movie he's absolutely the anchor of yeah. the movie so uh, and they're all just kind of playing around him in a way yeah no it's uh very disturbing very funny uh I think we'll be talking about it for a long time. Zach, after we stop recording, I have to tell you something. <laughs> okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, okay, well, Alexis, uh, The Innocent. The Innocent, yeah. Um, this was, like, one where it was like, oh, I'm going to watch this because, like, I love Louis Garrel. Um, and I think I was just, I was very surprised at how much I, like, immediately enjoyed it. Um I think I thought it was going, I think I just, I didn't expect it to go the way that it went. I guess it just took some turns that I didn't really expect. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, I've had a crush on Louis Garrel for like a long time. But uh, this other woman, um, Noemi, she was also in um, A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I still need to fucking watch that movie. She's so good. She's she's truly just like a really talented actress. And uh, her in this movie, she's so unhinged. Like her you love that. I do. You, I you love go an, crazy for it. I love an unhinged woman who's just like, you know what? This, I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. And you know that finish line? I'm going to keep fucking going. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's this moment where they're in this. Um, and I, I watched this on the Criterion channel. And uh, there's this moment where they're in a uh, kind of like a like a diner, you know, like it's super late at night. This is where all the truckers like hang out like, at, you know, like 10 midnight, you know, when they're stopping for some coffee and some food or whatever. And th they're in the middle of this like kind of heist plan. Right. And they're having to pretend to be a couple, you know, and some of the backstory i guess i can give you the premise of this movie is that um at the very beginning this woman who is like a drama teacher for like prisoners i guess ends up falling in love with one of the prisoners and they get like married like or like or start dating like right after he gets out of prison and her son is like immediately fucking suspicious of this guy and he's like i don't fucking like him he's looking for all these reasons to like you know you know essentially like get him out of their lives you know he's trying to you know insinuate that you know he's still into crime or da da da. he's following him around one of the coolest things to be into <laughs> and uh and then he does eventually figure out that oh yeah he is somebody is like i think maybe blackmailing him into pulling off another heist or something right Ooh, this sounds like a good movie it is i feel like i should watch yeah. this you should if it's a heist you film should. i'm into it yeah <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like i told i'm telling you guys you gotta see it <laughs> the boys the boys are interested yeah. the boys are intrigued <laughs> and um so his his best friend so i think he had a this guy who louis garrell plays he he had a wife at one point and she died my wife and my wife um my life uh, <laughs> God damn it. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> You're not the only person in my life who does the shit like that. <laughs> I can't help it. It's called being white. <laughs> oh, I got my ADHD diagnosis back, guys. I got that shit. What's up? Dude. I do, yeah. Uh, I got that. It's like a six month fucking. Can't wait for you to meet Jacoby. <laughs> wow. This okay. explains Anyways. so much. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm telling wow. you, Rick. I'm telling you, like blame it on the ADD, baby. Yeah. Literally, 
I left that goddamn appointment after I got my diagnosis, called my sister immediately. I was like, so it's true. I have it. And if I have it, you definitely fucking have it. (laughs) 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 Um, Okay. Anyway, so back to the heist movie. Um, so his best friend was also friends with like his wife before they, she had died. Right. And there's clearly like some sort of like weird energy before between them. So they have this like diner scene where they're like pretending to be a couple to like kind of help out with this heist or whatever. Right. And, um, it's just crazy. The, because they're, they clearly like planned out a certain part of the conversation to happen and yet as the conversation unfolds and they're kind of in order to play it up and to make the conversation more real they're kind of drawing on emotional memory and memories from their real lives and the scene between them becomes more and more and more real until it just like reaches this climax and I just Loved it so much. You love reaching a climax. I do love reaching a climax. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, you guys definitely should see it. Um, nothing that I really said would, like, give away, like, how fun it is just to watch it. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. So, you know, a foreign really? language, but it's good. Hell yeah. Sacre um, <laughs> So, yeah, not, uh, for me, number 10, the creator. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to use Google for this. Google's going to help me out, especially considering it has to do with AI. Uh, as a future war between the human race and artificial intelligence rages on, ex-Special Forces agent Joshua is recruited to hunt down and kill the creator, the elusive architect of advanced AI. The creator has developed a mysterious weapon that has the power to end the war and all of mankind. As Joshua and his team of elite operatives venture into enemy-occupied territory, they soon discover the world-ending weapon is actually an AI in the form of a young child. Um, I saw this. I was supposed to see it with Zach, uh, but we had a late-night rager the night before. And Zach couldn't make it because yeah. I think he was still sleeping. Uh, I was. But I, I set my alarm and I was so hungover, <laughs> and I went to see this film, which I think speaks to how good it is, because I was solidly hungover, and yet this what is it, two hours and thirteen minutes, um, I was really really engaged by it. Um, obviously. I think there are problems with it, but the reason that I think it should go on my top 10 is because it's an original sci-fi film that the world building is exquisite. I mean, the tech, the droids, the ships, um, it's, as I said during, I don't remember what episode, I think it was maybe our Texas Chainsaw our, episode. Uh, yeah, it was our Toby Hooper Texas Chainsaw movies. Yeah, Go back and listen. I think the creator is up there with um, Avatar in terms of world building with sci-fi tech. Um, the fact that the budget was uh, as small as it was is amazing. Uh, it uh, David uh, John David Washington does a fantastic job as the lead. And especially because... The film is about AI and it's kind of sympathetic look at AI. And this movie came out during an interesting climate. This was happening during the SAG-AFTRA protests and, and, and union strikes where basically 
and also the WGA, where AI is now becoming a threat to the industry that we work in and putting people out of jobs. And so I, I myself felt a little uncomfortable that this movie was trying to actually have a conversation about how AI doesn't necessarily have to be bad. And the fact that it did so without being alienating and really was just a conversation about the othering of an entire group of people and how it's really like a sci-fi allegory for the war in Vietnam. Uh, it was fantastic. And also another, yeah. uh, another nod I have to get to this film is I had to piss so bad by the end of the film, <laughs> but I couldn't, I, I wouldn't walk out. I refused to walk out it, that, you know, a movie's good where yeah. everything in your body is telling you to leave the theater immediately and go to the bathroom. And I couldn't, my mind was like, no, you have got to see how this ends. Um, so, so yeah, valid. I thought the creator, it, it's an original sci-fi film that absolutely nails it. Allison Janney plays one of the best villains uh, that we got in film this year. Uh, so if you haven't seen The Creator, I, I really, really recommend it. It's it's a damn good time. Alexis, have you seen The Creator yeah. yet? Mm-mm. No, okay. I, I'd like to chat a little bit about The Creator, because I'm really glad you put this on your list. <laughs> I, I felt kind of bad not having it in my honorable mentions because of everything you said about mm-hmm. it being an original, like, on the higher end of mid-budget sci-fi. Um, and I I really like what it has to say about, like, drone warfare. I think that yeah. is... Uh, it, I think it's a especially relevant movie now. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, John yeah. David Washington is a... He's a genuine movie star. Uh, as, as someone who became tenant-pilled this year... Uh, what Ten- yeah. I became tenant pilled. I'm I'm a fan of tenant now. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm uh, performing temporal pincer movements every chance I get. What the uh, fuck does that mean? Uh, watch tenant. It's <laughs> okay. a movie. It's a movie that about that's about uh, what if friends all along. Wait, um, Alexis, have you, you haven't film. seen tenant yet? Nah. Really? Uh, I think you might not like it on a first watch. No one Take does. some time and then watch it again. Yeah. I didn't like it that much when I saw it the first no, time. No, I, I solidly disliked it. I want to prove you wrong and like the first time. Yeah, and then, and then, <laughs> on, yeah, but then on a rewatch, she's going to be like, all right, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's got our boy Arpats in it. Um, Arpats, baby. But, uh, yeah, I, I really love John David Washington's performance in that. Uh, Allison Janney, great. Um, the kid is very good in that movie. Yes. Uh, her name is Madeline Yuna Voiles. Uh, um, yeah. Very, very good. And, uh, yeah. And Ken Watanabe plays a fucking the general. little trash can robots are, uh, probably my favorite, like, new design of the year. Or, well. Yeah. Actually, I might be talking about my favorite new design of the year in a little bit. Um, mm. But really, really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad you shouted that movie out. Hell yeah. Uh, all right. All right, well, folks. Number nine. Should Alexis go first this time? Uh, yeah, Alexis, if you want to go first. I can, I can definitely go first. This is, I think this is the only true comedy that is on my list. Ooh. And it's Joyride. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I still have to watch Good that. Movie. God damn it. You know, do you know why this one out over Bottoms? Uh, is it because of the final shot? It's because... 
know. It's because it fucking made me ball. It managed to make me fucking bust out my gut laughing and make me fucking ball all in one movie. What can what more can I fucking ask you know, for? To be also, I can I haven't seen the movie, but I can speak to that on our on my flight from Boston to London. My girlfriend watched Joyride on the flight uh-huh. and she was like trying really hard to not laugh like out loud. But then she also started crying <laughs> at a certain point. I was like, fuck, that looks like yeah. a really good film. Uh, Real yeah. qu- real quick, I think we should be shouting out the directors of these movies. Yes. That's uh, oh, yeah. Adele Lim, who made Joyride. Okay, um, so technically the reason why I also really wanted to watch The Innocent was because Louis Garrel also directed it. Oh, And I wonderful. was like, fuck yeah, my dude. Yeah. I'd nice. love to see it, uh, but yes. And Todd Haynes directed May December, if I yeah. didn't mention that. I think you did. Cool. But, okay. Yeah. Um, great, Joyride. So for my number nine is... Blackberry, directed by uh, Matthew Johnson, oh. fantastic Canadian film, which also no, no, it's not an oh, outright yeah. comedy, not an outright comedy, but it's close. But it is funny. Yeah, um, it is hilarious. All right, and my number nine. I really tried not to have a recency. Like I, I very much went into this week being like, things are gonna have to work real fucking hard to make my top ten at this point in the year. Yeah. Uh, but my number ten. Or my number nine is a movie that I watched this week, and that is Sean Durkin's The Iron Claw. Oh, nice. Uh, Another movie yeah, I gotta we watch. Can, we, can, we can talk about it later, too. All right, we'll talk about it a little <laughs> bit now, but uh, Alexis, go ahead. Joyride. Uh, Joyride, like, what can I say? This is a, it's directed by a woman. It's, like, an all-fucking, like, female-led cast. Um, there's just so much for me to personally love about the movie, I love a good, you know, I remember reading reviews about this, like after I watched the movie and I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense where they were basically like, we want to make something that's kind of like the Joy Luck Club, but also it fucks (laughs) (laughs) the Joy Fuck Club. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm so here for that because I loved the Joy Luck Club growing up. And I even read the book like I loved, um, I think it's like Wayne I can't remember what his name is, the guy who directed that one. But um, yeah, it just it touches all the bases that I really love about movies. That's it's about the family that you make in your friendships. And it's also about what you don't have in family, you Mm. know, Like the things that can be missing and the things that, you know, you see around you that other people have that you're missing and um, and then to either lose or to experience that in another way. I just it's about friendship. It's about family. It checks all the goddamn boxes for me. It's it's raunchy. In a way that, like, I'm not normally like, oh, I love raunchy movies, you know, necessarily. I am. But Which is weird, I know, I know. because but you are the- such a raunchy person. You'd think that would be another I'm such a raunchy person. She, get, she gets enough of it in her day-to-day. Yeah, That's exactly. True. I'm like, if you lived in my brain, you wouldn't need to watch these movies yourself. <laughs> yeah, she's like, most movies can't match me. <laughs> this was way too tame. <laughs> no, but there's like I think there's some part where some girl is like using like a like a muscle um like you know like so massage athletes gun. have those things where like a massage gun yeah. using a massage gun to 
blast this basketball onto this guy's balls, like, in a somehow sexually appealing way. <laughs> and, and there's, like, a threesome that gets so crazy. There's, I just love I, and I think just the movie going experience itself was so fun because like me, me and my family, we did not know that this was going to be so inappropriate. So our, my eight year old nephew came with us. Hell yeah. Um, you were the people at X. <laughs> you were the family that brought their no, child to X. No, that child was like five years old. Okay. That oh, is much unfair. better. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It is unfair. And also, um, I don't. I have no. I have nothing else to defend us with. <laughs> and also, <laughs> um, yeah, no. But my favorite thing was just like a part where he was like, "She's like you," and talking about the fucking horniest shit best friend, <laughs> <laughs> who like she's voted most likely to go to jail. <laughs> and he was like, "He's like that's like you," and I was like, "What? <laughs> How could you read me for filth so desperately? What the fuck?" Um, yeah, so just like I think the movie going experience was so fun. Um, I really loved the characters. I I just a dead eye, so fun. Um, and fucking Stephanie Sue, I'm just so excited to see so much more work from her. Yeah. Sherry Cola, who played the best friend that I was like, you know, my nephew was like, that's you. Um, she was so good. Like everybody, Ashley Park, they were so good. I have nothing but great things to say about that movie, to be honest. And the fact that like it could be so funny and outlandish and then to pull it back into the emotional core of needing and wanting family. Yeah. Um, you know, just kudos all around. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, Sabrina Wu was on my best supporting actress list for a very long time. I, she's so fucking funny. They crushed it. Also, uh, shout out to having a POV shot that I've only ever seen in The Handmaiden. Crazy. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, that. (laughs) Mix picking up on it. Mix picking right up on it. Talk about movies made for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, honestly, with the whole massage gun basketball to the balls, I'm sold. I'm sold. That's all you need to say. I'll watch it. Um, okay, so uh, boy, it's a, that's a tough act to follow. So BlackBerry explores the incredible growth and tragic collapse of the world's first smartphone and how it smashed huge enterprises before surrendering to Silicon Valley's fiercely competitive companies. Um, mm. This is a movie that, if I look at my list... I think if I had to pick a movie that surprised me the most, it would probably have to be Blackberry because um, this is listed. Uh, this is listed as a comedy slash documentary, which is kind of strange. But uh, again, it's, it's a movie about the creation of a product that I mean, that's just not that common. I mean, sometimes Adam McKay, you know, he likes to do these kind of comedy slash documentary type films that explore political issues uh, like with vice or with um i forget the name of the film that he did about the stock market crash the big short Um, but uh i just wasn't expecting to to love it but uh, this movie came out earlier in the year and it has remained in my top 10 as just a completely rock solid film that is incredibly funny, 
but also like surprisingly dramatic. Um, again, Jay, uh, Jay, is that how you say Baruchel? Uh, yeah, it's Jay either Baruchel or Baruchel. I think it's Baruchel. Is it Baruchel? Okay. I, like, right. everyone talks about, and rightfully so, everyone talks about Glenn Howerton, how great he is, but he, Jay Baruchel, He's from Waterloo, where the vampires he does such out. a good job. I, I honestly think he holds the, like, emotional heft of the film because the oh, arc yeah. that he has from someone that is like the only one that I really trust to like do the right thing is to kind of being like yeah. Icarus and yeah. he is his own downfall uh, is yeah. fantastic. Uh, he does such a good job. Um, also Matthew Matthew Johnson, Johnson as Doug. Oh my God. Is, I love him. Is like he's comic <laughs> relief. And then he yeah. says cut and he's gone behind camera. And he's directing the damn film. I mean, yeah. that is yeah. insanely impressive. And then, yes, Glenn Bradley Howerton. Bradley Cooper um, who? <laughs> they, I mean, who, who else? Who else do you cast to play <laughs> this character? And yeah. then correctly, you know, if you're a fan of um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, then you will appreciate this film because, you know, he, he goes... He, he, he goes the full Glenn, pretty much, um, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But he also, as I wrote in my review on Letterboxd, he also gives like a really good dramatic performance that I think deserves a shout out. That he's a genuinely damn good actor as well as, as Juilliard one. trained, baby. Yes, that's right. Was he he really? was trained in Juilliard. Yeah, he went to Juilliard. Matt? No, uh, Glenn Howerton. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and then uh, also, this movie is kind of an automatic top ten film because it has Michael Ironside in it. Uh, I've always Fuck said, yeah. if you put Michael Ironside in a film, it will be in a top ten list somewhere. Um, so yeah, this movie really, really surprised me, and it has stuck with me ever since coming out in the spring. Um, really, really good. I definitely recommend. And also the documentary style, with the camera kind of zooming in, zooming out. Like they're cut, like oh the camera's kind of behind the wall and zooms in for like a dramatic shot. I think that's so so, so effective. Yeah, it's giving like um, succession. Yeah, yeah. yes, very, which very I much. mean, if we want to talk about favorite things of the fucking year, <laughs> I oh, never watched season four. Man, I feel, yeah, I oh, still, I still, man. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, the other person I'd like to shout out from Blackberry because that's another movie that uh, it's in my top 20 and uh. Yeah, I was a little sad to not put it in my honorable mentions. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Elways has had a really nice yeah, late good. career playing kind of sleazy scumbags. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did it three times this year. What else was he in? He was in uh, Operation Fortune. Oh, which where, I missed. Where he, which he plays a sleazy scumbag. He's also in Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He is a mission. Oh fuck, he is in Mission Impossible. Yeah. Is he, who is he uh, in he's Impossible? the he's the director of uh, the NSA, the, right? Oh my god, yeah, the director of the NSA. I think he's the uh, guy who they meet on the who oh, Gabriel yeah. meets yeah, yeah, on the train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, okay. we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll get into it. Um, but yeah, no, I really like Blackberry. Uh, Glenn Howerton's delivery of. Fuck you! I'm from Waterloo, where the vampires hang out! Uh, yeah. Is one of my favorite line reads of the year. Fantastic. I also, I, I met him briefly. I met him briefly at the beginning of the year, and uh, I he was just a fucking delight. 
Uh, <laughs> he, as soon as he realized I was a fan of Sonny, he fucking snapped into Dennis. Yes, uh, I, love it. Goes, I was yeah. like, I, I was like, I, I, I was like, I don't want to speak out of turn, and then he just snapped around and went, "So don't." Uh, <laughs> fucking incredibly funny dude deserves all the fucking kudos. Um, the Iron Claw. Yes, I won't talk about it too much because I know it's going to come up later. Uh, but. I, I don't prize uh, crying in a movie quite as much as uh, you guys, but I also don't do it as much. So quite I as much as Nick impressed. does. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, both of you. Um, yeah, I'm full of tears. But uh, when it does happen, I'm I'm always surprised. And I, I kind of sat with the Iron Claw and I was like, is this one of the best movies of the year or am I just surprised that it hit me? Uh, this hard at the end. Um, but I, I do think it's one of the best of the year. I think it looks incredible. Uh, I think the costume design is fucking incredible. Yeah. And uh, yeah, contender for best ensemble of the year. Yeah. Uh, the it, casting was great. Yeah. I'm so glad that, because I feel like Zac Efron has been trying to find the right dramatic role for him right. for a he long time. He does so time. good in comedies. And yeah, yeah. I think he... I think from like Charlie St. Cloud, like way back when, like we definitely got like a, a, a slice of like the potential for a dramatic role. Yeah, yeah I like the uh, the Ted Bundy movie he was in, Extremely Shock, uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, was that, something I was like looking forward to. It just wasn't very good. It, but mm-hmm. I will say though, that was not a great film. But Zac Efron was great. He yeah, he's good. He at it. he really was really really good in that film. Funny that you brought that up. I, I when I was talking to my nephew about, well, you know, like, you should see the Iron Claw, and then we we're talking about Zach Efron, and blah blah blah. He was like, I think that the the turning point for his career. Do you think he he asked me? Do you think the turning point for his career was that movie? You know, for him to be able to get into like these types of roles that he's getting now. And I was like, you know what? Can't say because I haven't seen it, but I could believe that. I think the turning point for Zach Efron's career is low key Neighbors. Mm. Um, Interesting. I think that that's when he started appearing in more, like, even if it's funny, more adult stuff. Yeah, but right. like, I'm. We're, I think he was. My nephew was specifically talking about like dramas. appearing in dramas. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, I would agree with that. I, yeah. I I think he's just so good in the Iron Claw. Uh, Jeremy Allen White, it. Harris Dickinson, both great. God, Lily James Dickinson. is always so likable. Uh, yeah. Stanley Simmons or Simons as well as uh, Mike Von Erich yeah. is really, what really great. Um, and I have to shout out one of my favorite fucking that guys of recent times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a man with uh, a face like a catcher's mitt. Is, he, uh, is this the guy from Mindhunter? Is not the dad? Holt McAllany, uh, yeah. who, yes, is in Mindhunter. Oh, I love he's him. He's in Nightmare Alley. Uh, he's in Fight Club briefly. Fincher's worked with him a couple of times. Mm. Um, but Holt McCallany is so fucking good in this movie. Uh, and, you know, I think it is uh, an important movie for boys and young men to see. Because uh, it is a really good examination of toxic masculinity. Mm. Yeah. And also I find it very funny that I saw someone refer to it as Little Women for Boys. Um, I, 
You know what? You kind of see it? I do. Like, you said that, and you know what? Immediately, That's yes. That's funny. Immediately, and you know what? Yes. Little women for girls fucking slaps. Okay. Little but, women for boys also let, slaps. Let, let, let me tell you that little women, you've seen this firsthand that I cry throughout the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so my number nine is The Iron Claw. Uh, nice. Very much enjoyed it. I... I think that it's not getting quite as strong an awards push as some other stuff. I, I think it maybe came out a little late, uh, and I wish That's it was because I, you know, I think I've, it's a fantastic movie. I've read both of your. Well, I, uh, I don't know if I've read yours, Zach, but I read Alexis's review on on Iron Claw, and it does make me feel melancholy that I do feel like had I seen it, there probably would be a solid chance it would be in my top ten or at least my I top think so, fifteen. Mick. And every everyone that I know that has seen Iron Claw has come out saying, holy shit, that was yeah. like being hit by a freight train emotionally. I, I um, was genuinely surprised. Yeah. I so think I didn't think it would hit I'm that hard. I'm disappointed to hear that it's not getting like, I haven't even fucking seen it yet, but I'm already like disappointed to hear it's not getting that much awards traction. Um, it's like, it's kind of in the like, Maybe not enough you know, of maybe, the public have seen it yet. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's probably part of it. it came out right before Christmas. Which I think yeah. is, it might change, because honestly, I think now that people have seen it, yeah. it's been getting a really great response. Like, it is, it is the kind of movie that I think you can take basically anyone. Take your dad. <laughs> your dad will love it. Yeah, uh, dad 100%. Movie. Yeah, uh, it's it's some great dad cinema. Can't take my mom. I literally went back home and I was like, "Don't see that movie, mom. You're gonna hate it." <laughs> Iron Claw. Uh, but yeah, she doesn't like extended suffering and she doesn't like violence. I did not so. expect it to be uh, one of the saddest movies of the year. Yeah, I think that's um, where I think that's where I went wrong. I was like, I'm expecting this to be sad because I know there's tragedy, but I did not expect it to hit. That fucking like, brutalized me. Took me out. Yeah, <laughs> for like an hour. Hopped, hopped off the top rope and fucking slammed me into the Swept mat. The I'm, gonna, chair. I'm, gonna ex- I'm gonna tell you guys a story when we get to my section of it. <laughs> okay, cool. yeah, a little spoiler for later in Alexis' yeah. list. Um, well, Mick, you can uh, you can fire us into number eight. Number eight. Um, number eight is a jolly good warming of the heart film. Directed by Alexander Payne, The Holdovers. Coming in at number eight for me. Um, nice. I just, I, I really dug this film, guys. It's, I, it's I'm excited movie. to talk about it. Uh, my number eight, I don't think is going to appear on anyone else's list. It is the only horror movie in my top ten, or even my top fifteen. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a recommendation from the end roommate. Oh. And that is, by the way, the end roommate was the, his departure was the reason that I missed the, the creator. That's um, right. Yeah, we, we, we all, all got, We rager. all got fucking tanked. Uh, <laughs> but my number eight is Demian Rugna's When Evil Lurks. Oh, I meant yeah. to go see that. And I, I did missed not. it in theaters. I caught it on streaming. Uh, Alexis. When did that come out? Oh, yes. We're. It came out in October. I was working on the movie. Uh, We're okay. gonna have to take a pee break after this. Okay. <laughs> Just letting you know. A little pee break after yeah, this. Yeah, little pre- pee break after this. Um, so my number eight is Anatomy of a Fall, and mm. I watched this so recently that like I really been like 
complain where where it is on my top 10 because I'm like, I know it belongs here somewhere. I just don't know where. Right. And I think that if I had the time, you know, obviously to rewatch some of the movies on my top 10, like I would know really where it belongs. But just like literally when we started this conversation, it was higher. And then by the time we've gotten to this point, it's at eight. So (laughs) that is uh, Justine Treat. Yes. Um, But yeah, so that's my number eight. Nice. All right. Uh, Did we work now? All right. Number eight, the holdovers. A curmudgeonly instructor at a New England prep school remains on campus during Christmas break to babysit a handful of students with nowhere to go. He soon forms an unlikely bond with a brainy but damaged troublemaker who, with the school's head cook, a woman who just lost a son in the Vietnam War. Um, I was really excited to see this. I'm a huge Paul Giamatti fan. Um, I also really like Alexander Payne, um, despite having actually not seen a lot of his filmography, but everything I have seen from him, quite a fan of. Um, yeah, this was just such a, a heartwarming movie about, uh, people that have been wronged or they're just really embittered about life and them slowly opening up to other people and part of why I enjoy films is when you get to meet characters that genuinely feel like human beings fully realized human beings and what I enjoyed so much about the holdovers um is I felt like I had just met these three people and that I knew who they were and that I had a really profound time with them as they did with one another. Um, it's a wonderful Christmas film, even though he says it's not really a Christmas film. Uh, it's a fucking yeah, Christmas it was just, film. I love how it's shot. It's definitely I a Christmas love, movie. I, I, I love the way, I don't know if they shot it on film. I'm going to assume they shot they it didn't. on film. They, they, sh- they um, didn't. They shot it digital. They did. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it looks That's very crazy. old school. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just really, 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 really good stuff. Uh, and also, as someone who appreciates history, um, which is partly why I've been having such a good time on my trip right now, I really love the line where he talks about in order for us to better un- understand the present, we need to understand the past because like everything about the past informs the present. Um yeah, Mick, really that, good thing. I love that because that was one of the lines in the movie that stood out to me as yeah. well. Yeah, it's I, uh, it's so good, especially when you see a picture of it and it's pornography on on a vase, right? And by the way, yeah, yeah. Exactly. by the way, I knew I wasn't crazy, but Paul Giamatti does not have a lazy eye. No, yeah. he does not. It's so fucking great makeup. I can't. I don't know how they did it. If it's if yeah. it's a lens or if it's CGI, because they've asked Paul Giamatti about it in interviews and he's like, ah, ooh, I don't know. No, so. I think that there has to because I think the young boy who played opposite of him also had questions about it. So it had to have been like some sort of a lens type of thing. You think, right? Yeah, yeah I think like, it's like a, a, a lens. I think it is. I don't know. But I remember when we talked about this earlier, Alexis mentioned it. uh, Divine Joy Randolph, who plays Mary, who's the cook. Yeah. There's a scene with her in Boston uh, when she's visiting her sister. And there is a box. It's like a hat box box. full of um, trinkets and and keepsakes from her son that she lost in the Vietnam War when he was a baby. And 
um, I remember being hit, uh, basically like a punch to the stomach, uh, of just being overcome with emotion when she looks at his baby shoes, his little baby booties and yeah. how that is such a symbol of, of innocence and such a symbol of, of, of how time has passed. And um, also just kind of speaks to the time in which this film is set, um, which, yeah, definitely brought to you. I'm getting te- I'm getting uh, hey, tearful I, right now. I, just I, talking about you're it. You're talking it's, about it's, it's it. So good. And I'm literally feeling like I'm going to cry again. Yeah. You know, I think to add on top of that, it's not just like I think it's also not just of the time that has passed, but I think for. Like, I have an eight-year-old nephew that I feel very, very close with, and, like, I was with him a lot as a baby. Like, I was definitely, like, second mommy to him, like, in a lot of ways. And in some ways, like, it really feels sometimes like that time hasn't passed at all. And so when I saw those booties, like, I was just so hit with the fact of, like, you know... You know how, like, your parents are like, oh, you're still my baby sometimes or something like that, you know? It's true for them. Like, no matter what time has passed, they'll always remember you that way, you know? Because, like, it was such, you know... You know, despite like whatever arguments or disagreements you've had, like over time, you'll always remember your baby the way, you know, when that moment where you guys were just so in love with each other, because that's all that you really needed from each other was each other, you know? Yeah. Such a good, good moment. That hat box broke my fucking heart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I also I really like I feel like she undeniably kind of has the heat in the supporting actress race right now. And I I totally see why, because that is like a real full meal of a supporting performance. Like she gets those impactful dramatic moments, but she also gets to be really fucking funny. Yeah, she does. Uh, The bit where she is (laughs) drunk as hell before it becomes kind of sad. sad. And uh, there's, someone who's trying to change the music at the party because she's like running. Don't you fucking touch yeah. that record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't you fucking yeah. touch that record. It, it, just huge laugh line. Uh, her talking about how her son fucking hated Paul Giamatti when she was yeah. a student. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. When he was a student. Really, really got and me. And then, like, in, you know, I mean, you know, there's a very great emotional line with Paul Giamatti and that young boy, but also, like, her tethering them together in a way where like especially when like Paul Giamatti says something like you know like why don't you just leave then you know and she's like when a kid doesn't get picked up by their parents for fucking Christmas you don't fucking say shit like that yeah you don't fucking tell them that of all the people that they're with even you don't fucking want them and I was like yes girl you would tell him got him Um, (laughs) fucking got him take him away yeah I know I love her so good Mm. yeah all right well uh anything else on the holdovers uh, yeah, what, one more thing I'll shout out is there's a, a, a quick the, the the relationship that Paul Giamatti's character has with this other woman who works at the school that you begin to sense, as does he, that there might be a bit of a romantic spark in between them. And yeah. um, for all of my True Blood fans out there, you'll know that she played one She's of the waitresses. The, the waitress. She played yeah. the waitress in True Blood. Um, okay. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> she, it was you, great you to see her in this film. Fucking true blood. Um, 
there's a scene at the Christmas party where they're actually like kind of having some chemistry. And then she turns around and goes, oh, there's someone at the door. And she goes, and it's her husband, who we have not been introduced yet. And they kiss and they hug. And Paul Giamatti plays this emotion so well, which is like, oh, of course. Yes. How did I even let how how why did I let myself even think that this was actually a thing? Of course, it was too good to be true. Of course, it was yeah. all in my head. And I think um, I think a lot of people can relate to that emotion at one point in their life where they think like, oh, we have undeniable me and this person. We have this undeniable thing happening right now. And then something will happen. You'll go, oh, that's right. Nope. That no life is not life is not like that. Um, and I just the way he played it on his face with with no lines of dialogue at all. Fuck, it was so well done. Yeah. This is such a good Paul Giamatti character. OK, one more thing on your movie. I love that this was your choice, Mick. Um, the scene where the young boy goes to see his father. Oh, my God. And and he starts yeah. to like talk. He starts to talk to him. And that I, really I, got me. I knew it was coming because, like, I figured if he was in an institution that there had to be something like really wrong, you know. And and as soon as his father started talking, I was like, yep, that's pretty much what I expected. But it doesn't stop it from hurting no. because, you know, how desperately that he's a teenage boy. So he's trying to cover up the fact that he needs his father so much you know but you can see like all throughout these mentions of boston 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 you know and so you know how desperately he wants to see him wants to connect to him and in that moment that he has possibly an opportunity to it it doesn't happen and it's so yeah it's a a real fucking kick in the balls it's one of those rare occurrences where not the characters but the audience kind of gets a closure of we keep getting like this boston 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 oh the dad is actually still alive let's meet the dad and we meet the dad and it makes us feel worse it's like another it's a so you know like they say that like people who have like dementia or alzheimer's it's kind of like seeing them i think like go away from you like constantly you know like it's its own type of death and i think that that's kind of what we see in this film with this father who has you know such a such a a a mental problem that like he literally in a way has disappeared from his life as the as the father that he knows you know he won't get that one back you know so there is there is it feels like a death in that moment in some ways and grief because now we know for sure. Oh, okay. Whatever it was that he hoped he could get from this and in his father being alive, there's no real hope for that, you know? So, yeah, I, uh, I feel like Dominic Sessa is kind of the under discussed performance in this movie. And he's also Mm -hmm. very good. He's very good. Uh, much like my number nine pick, take your dad to go see this one. It's good dad (laughs) cinema. Um, well, you know, what's not good dad cinema is when evil lurks. Uh, (laughs) if, uh, the holdovers feels kind of like a warm hug, uh, when evil lurks feels like an embrace, uh, with the, uh, chilly arms of death 
wrapped in fucking rusty nails. Wow. Uh, okay. okay. It is. <laughs> I'm intrigued. A relentlessly <laughs> yeah. fucking mean horror movie. Um, it's. It definitely shares DNA with uh, the Evil Dead in terms of how it uh, interprets demons um, and curses. Uh, but the movie that I came away being the most reminded of is a film that we discussed this year, which mm-hmm. is The Wailing. Um, okay. It has uh, a okay. really unique take on possession okay. as almost a disease. It has... I talked about a film that has maybe my favorite character design of any movie. The design of, I believe they're called uh, the Rotten in uh, oh, When Evil Lurks. already. Is fucking disgusting. It's so, like, haunting. And you you really just feel this massive sense of dread right. throughout this entire movie. Um, it It's kind of a sneaky... Like, I... When it started, I didn't realize that uh, it was going to be a post-apocalyptic movie. Yeah, uh, and it is. It's like a. It's an apocalypse caused by demons, and uh, it explores kind of the failings of faith. And it's also. Uh, it's it's a really good movie about like family dysfunction and. Uh, you know, kind of cowardice in a way. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was the, like, unique horror concept of the year. And, like, as it continued, you just get this fucking pit in your stomach that you get in the wailing as well, where you're like, I don't know where this is going to end, but I know it's not going to be good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the lead performances are great. Um yeah, Ezekiel Rodriguez and Demian Solomon, both really fucking good. Um, and yeah, I just, similarly to the creator, I loved the way this movie built its world. Um, so, you know, as Bung Juno said, uh, get over the one-inch barrier of subtitles. Mm-hmm. This is an Argentinian film, and if you're a horror fan... It's mandatory viewing. You gotta see it. I'll definitely yeah. watch it. Thank you, boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And again, shouts out to the end roommate who, uh, you know, before before he left us, very much became the movie pilled boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that we all are. I've been getting texts from him being like, "Fucking, I don't like being up here. I I want to talk about movies all the time." And I'm like, "We fucking broke you. We broke." <laughs> Fucking got your ass, you son of a bitch. Uh, it's contagious. Much like much like possession in when evil lurks. Yeah. Uh, it it spreads. Wow. If if there's a rotten in your in your area, <laughs> you must leave. Uh, yeah, no, I uh also just the I I think as uh you know, our our screenwriting professor talked about uh, gratuitous violence, and uh, I'm I'm often about that shit. And Indeed, the violence <laughs> in When Evil Lurks is legitimately really shocking. Um, like just the the way it's executed had my fucking jaw on the floor. Uh, yeah, so. When Evil Lurks, my horror movie contribution of the year, lower than horror movies usually are on my top 10 of the year list, but I'm glad one snuck in there at the end because it's very good. 
You know what's so funny is that up until like maybe like six hours ago, Mission Impossible was definitely on my top ten. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Um, I, I'm very happy to hear that. Talking about <laughs> talking about ways that Mick and I have broken people. Yeah. <laughs> That one was well deserved. Yeah, like you really right. fucking got me with that one. Dun, like dun, here's dun, the thing dun, is that dun, I dun, dun. You know how like I really love like sexual tension in like movies, yes. you know, in my period dramas and everything. Absolutely. I think yep. that part of the fun for me in being broken is just the fight before. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good morning. Tell me you have without actually telling me. Oh my god. Oh my god. Mick, why would you out me like that? (laughs) Well, talk about things I'm gonna bleep in the edit. Um, don't, don't yuck the yum, Zach, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, different strokes for different folks, baby. And we be stroking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right, um, so <laughs> it feels even weirder to be like, so my number eight pick, Anatomy of the Fall. <laughs> yeah, let's, so let's go into this. Let's go into this. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't we have, have to... to because you're going to mention we, we'll it later, t- I'm sure. We'll talk. We'll talk about it later. But let's okay, just, let's hear I'll about a, it now. Give a brief little thing. So, um, <clears throat> did she do it? A woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness. Um, basically, what I will say about it, obviously, we're going to talk about it a little later, is that I put this movie on. And I, I watched another movie first and then I started this movie and then I was like, and I think I fell asleep about 30 to 40 minutes in. No, I think it was about 30 minutes in. And I remember being like, well, you know what? I'm just going to put this down. I'm obviously too tired because mm-hmm. like I keep having, I kept having to watch movies after I got home from rehearsal at like 10 p.m. Yeah, that's so. what happened with me in May, December. Yeah, so it was kind of like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it down, I'm going to come back to it. And then when I came back to it, like literally that point, the 30 to 40 minute mark where I picked it up, immediately like was so sucked back into it. Like it just from that point on was really very compelling. And all of what I really loved about it was the script, I think, and Sandra is it Huller? Huller, I think, yeah. Huller. Um, her performance in her delivery of this was so true and real and nuanced. And I think it has a lot to do with what the script is. Because I don't think you could really draw from that if you can't, if if the, the words weren't there first. So that's that's personally what I will say about that movie. And we can move on. We'll we'll definitely get more into it later. Excellent. Um, it was right. higher up on my list, and then I was like, I just don't know. I don't know. You know, yeah. Listen, this is. Uh, it was a good year for movies. It was it really was. Uh, yes. I've been having a tough there, time. There were points where I was feeling a little discouraged about movies early in the year, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they had me in the first half. Not gonna lie. Yeah. The back half of the year, very strong. Wow, crazy. Yeah. This, um, this was a strong right. year for. I, I hate to say it, but for a twenty four. Not to sound oh, like a film bro, but in if you a look at the turn list, of events, the only um, fucking a twenty four movie. <laughs> the no, the only um, fucking com- what was it? Uh, more major production. Yeah, company major studio. T- 
to uh, actually be able to keep, like, you know, making movies during the strike was A24. Oh, yeah, so. interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, interesting, yeah, interesting. crazy. It's crazy yeah. how that happens. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, speaking of A24, uh, my number seven of the year is Christopher Borgley's Dream Scenario. Oh, wow. Nice. Alexis? Uh, my number seven of the year is uh, Takashi Yamazaki's Godzilla Minus One. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, and I then really, my really like that movie. number seven is Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. Wow. All right. Well, I'll start with Dream Scenario. Um, so... I, listen, we've all been reading the descriptions except for me, so I'll, I'll start doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started doing it because Mick was doing it. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, that's that's a better idea because otherwise I feel like I'm giving away too much of the movie. Well, yeah, okay, if so you build part, it, they will come. Partly is like <laughs> some of these movies, it's been so long since I've seen them. I'm kind of like, wait, what the fuck was this about? Oh, okay. What, did, right. what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, dream scenario. Hapless family man Paul Matthews finds his life suddenly turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. But when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. So, I was having a little bit of a tough year with my boy Nick. Yeah. Uh, Renfield underwhelmed me. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a oh. movie that he was in called uh, The Retirement Plan, I think. It was like an old guy action comedy that I uh, left because I was like, I should be doing Uber Eats and making money, and this movie sucks. Yeah. Um, it felt like a Redbox original. You left uh, the cinema? Yeah, I fully left the cinema. Wow. Uh, it, like, it felt like, yeah, the like a straight-to-DVD movie. Closest, I did not know how it... The closest I've gotten to that this year was A Silent Night by John Woo. Yeah, well, the listen, I've left the cinema two times this year, and one time I thought I was going to get shot. So that tells Yikes. you how fucking bad. Yikes. Tells you how fucking bad the retirement plan was. Yikes! Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. As much as like I really shot on ambulance a couple years ago, I didn't leave the theater. Yeah, you even sat your ass that. down because it's a good movie. Um, but <laughs> okay. No, we kept waiting uh, to see if it would get better. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, Jokes on us, it, I guess. It, you know, it got better and better. Um, but uh, Nick's, Nick Cage is fucking fantastic in Dream Scenario. Uh, for a guy who, you know, this is a movie that is in conversation with Nicolas Cage as a meme. Because, um, <laughs> like, people, based on, like, YouTube edits of extreme moments from his movies... We're like, oh, Nicolas Cage just goes over the top. Nicolas Cage just goes big. He freaks out. He goes crazy. Um, and that's just a huge disservice to him as an actor, and it really flattens him into this one thing. Um, and he plays this movie. It's a very funny performance, uh, but it's a very quiet and real one Um and yeah, like I said, it's a movie that's in conversation with the notion of Nicolas Cage as a cultural figure. It's uh, the first thing, or I guess the second thing, because Tar kind of did it last year. It's a movie that is in conversation with the notion of cancel culture and celebrity uh, in a way that is actually interesting, because um, that's a subject that is so often just makes you want to fucking drill a hole in your head. 
Um, and this deals with it with a lot of nuance and humor. Uh, and yeah, I think Nicolas Cage is the only person who could have pulled this role off. Uh, has a great support, great and funny supporting cast. Julianne Nicholson, who uh, plays his wife, is is wonderful. Yeah. Um, I love she's, her. She, yeah, she's in Togo. Um, oh, she's in Togo. Yeah, she, if she's who I'm thinking of, it wasn't she in Mayor of Eastwood with Kate Winslet? Maybe I, I haven't seen that. Um, but also Michael Sarah, who is having a great like yeah, he's great. return to the big screen year. Uh, also in Barbie. He's, He's so also funny in this in movie that called movie. Adult, The Adults that I've been wanting to see. Oh, okay. Uh, Tim Meadows, who is one of my favorite undersung comedic actors. He's in uh, both Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping and Walk Hard the Dewey Cox Story. Yeah. Uh, he's He plays Nicolas Cage's, uh, the dean of the school where Nicolas Cage is a professor. Mm. He's super fucking funny. And Kate Berlant as well, who... Uh, is another great comedian. She's been in I Think You Should Leave. Mm. Uh, also very fucking funny. This movie has the funniest fucking sex scene yeah. uh, that I've maybe ever seen. Yeah, um, I think I think if I had to pick the most singular, hilarious scene to come out this year, I think it would be the sex scene in, in Dream Scenario. Because it starts it is, off as being creepy. Like, uh. The, like the quote unquote the dream scenario where you just see a silhouette of a figure in the corner you don't know is that a person is that a hat rack like what is that and then the scene like unfolds and like I like I said in my review like I was like biting my knuckle trying to not like just blare out loud laughing during that sequence it is so well done oh my god yeah I uh very yeah probably my favorite comedy of the year um and yeah just very happy to see nicholas cage still fucking showing us why he's a goddamn movie star yeah um, big fan alexis have you seen dream scenario no i had no. to make some hard decisions during the month of november december for my time and sanity in watching movies and right. it did not make the cut so Bummer. well, if it um, makes you feel any I'm better, actually... if it makes you feel any better, there was two movies that I was going to watch. It was either going to be uh, a silent night or Godzilla minus one. And I chose silent night and I'm still you kicking... have chosen. I'm poorly. still yeah, kicking literally. myself in the balls oh over that one. Uh, Alexis has to pee again. <laughs> what? Don't even know what's happening, guys. Alexis, wow. you need your like every 5000 mile pre checkup or something. I know. Okay. Um, Are we pausing? Okay. I'm, no, no, it's fine. We'll, 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 we'll We're going to soldier through. We're going to soldier, soldier through. through. Um, yeah. Okay. Is it my turn? Sure is. Okay. Godzilla minus one. This actually may be the movie on my list that surprised me the most mm -hmm. because I definitely, you know, read the fucking reviews. I've never seen a goddamn Godzilla movie before. Like none of them, like literally could care less about fucking Godzilla. I've never like, seen a goddamn Godzilla movie before. <laughs> I've never seen a goddamn movie in my yeah, life. I, I believe her just by how she words that. <laughs> like nothing could interest me less than somebody being like it's a monster movie i'm like okay that sounds nice um that's where you and i differ yeah i know for real for real you know different strokes for different folks right you're goddamn right <laughs> um 
Yeah, no. So I, I, I went to see the movie because I was like, okay, getting really good reviews. I think it's going to be good. I feel like this is something that I should see. And within 30 minutes, it really hooked me so hard. I mean, like, honestly, the, the opening scene, I think just seeing that monster for the first time, because I mean, it, maybe perhaps part of the surprise of it is the novelty of seeing Godzilla on the screen for the first time um, mm. and seeing such a large, distracting monster. He's a big boy. Know? He yeah. is a big boy. Um, and then just also that, you know, I love World War II history. You know that I also do love the history of, you know, um, the experience of the Japanese people on the other side of that as well. You know, I love the movie Grave of the Fireflies by Asao Takahata. And so, you know, seeing the first 30 minutes of somebody coming back to their town, you know, the I think just there was a lot of like nuance to the character of like, you know, like he's a kamikaze. He was a kamikaze pilot. And therefore, why are you returning? You know, you're not you're not one of the ones who was supposed to come back. And therefore, that means that you're a coward, you know, because you you didn't you didn't you didn't just die for your country. You know, there's there's like this level of like nationalism that, you know, is implied in the movie, especially in those first 30 minutes by the response to him being a kamikaze pilot and not just fucking yoloing himself into oblivion um well said classic when you classic when you yolo yourself into oblivion (laughs) alexis avizia scholar hey guys i'm i i'm here for the people (laughs) you know the people of 2012 (laughs) you can only get away with that because you're so much younger than me i hate you yeah (laughs) Um, <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so Yolo himself into oblivion. I don't know. There was just there as much as it was a movie about a monster, it was also a movie, you know, about this specific man who's dealing with like PTSD and like the idea of how do I how do I go from here? Which is, I think the general consensus of the country of like, how do we build a life from the destruction of this, you know? And then you have Godzilla come back into the picture and wreak all sorts of more habit, which I believe, whatchamacallit, that Godzilla is like a representation of like the, the atomic A-bomb. bomb, the yeah. A-bomb, right? And it's like, and then it's again, where do we go from here? How do we build from this? How do we move on from this? How do we move on from this suffering? Um, I think just that the exploration of like all of that throughout the film, I really loved it. I loved the ensemble cast. Um, I loved that the movie really kind of drew some inspiration from like Jaws. And I'm so glad that you guys chose that for Boat Month because I never would have made that connection to this movie if, so thank you, Mick. Alexis, Um, did you just say thank you for Boat Month? Thank you for Boat Month. she did. 
My I nipples did. are See? hard. See? <laughs> Film major boys stay winning. It's a well-earned fight, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was a well-earned concession. Uh, As you know, said, you're bringing the horny all, energy back strong. It's all about the fight. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good show. <laughs> Uh, I, so I also saw Godzilla minus one. Yeah. Um, I think I was, it was a little bit of a victim of expectation for me. Yeah. Uh, cause I heard, you know, so many people be like, this is the greatest Godzilla movie ever made. This is one of the greatest movies of the year. It was like a victor of expectation for me. Yeah. Cause I had like nothing yeah. going on. Um, and I, I watched the original Godzilla this year, mm-hmm. uh, which was one of my favorite first time watches of the year. Yeah. I think that's just a flawless movie. And I think that you can't, you can't really ever recapture the like emotional punch of a movie that's about nuclear terror made by the Japanese in 1954. Yeah, made by the victims like, yeah, of it. It doesn't, it doesn't come through in the same way in this movie. Yeah. I haven't seen the original, but like, you know, like I know like film historically wise that that's what the creature is supposed to represent. Yeah. But like, and so like, I know that contextually going into the movie, but like, I didn't feel that as strongly necessarily in this film that I yeah. saw. Um, but I did really enjoy Godzilla minus one. Yeah. Uh, the third act of that movie where it does go full fucking jaws. Yeah. Is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I was punching the air, and the the moments where Godzilla's little spines start to light up yeah. before he uses his atomic breath. Take some fucking notes, American Godzilla movies. Yeah. Just in general, because the other thing about this movie, I, I had some issues with the human drama. There's particularly one plot point right at the very end where I was yeah. like, come the fuck on. Yeah. Uh, but this I is a movie... It's... That cares about its people. Yeah. And made me care about the people. And that's something that the American movies have never done for me. I think that's the through line (laughs) that I really enjoyed of the movie is that, um, that I think maybe resonates quite a lot with the people of Japan. Maybe, I don't know, but I mean like the, the movie comes from their country and it's written by somebody from their country. So maybe this is, you know, but the desire to live and yeah. to keep going and like the um I did find that very impactful. Yeah, I, I I thought that 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 through line especially like from the middle of the movie to the end was very compelling for me like as an emotional base of like overcoming the depths of the d- despair and finding the will to keep going and to keep living, you yeah. know, and and as somebody who's experienced depression, I'm like that for me, that's a very compelling oh, like, type sure. of like emotional argument, yeah. you know, and so I really enjoyed it. I it's the only five star movie that is this far down on my list, to be honest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mick. Number seven. All right. So for my number seven, <laughs> yes, uh, to recap, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, um, this again was uh when i was formulating my list it was not as high up as i felt it should have been uh simply by virtue of it not being uh, an easy film to watch uh this is a really really hard to watch film it's very very tragic 
Um, but I knew, like I said, I, I knew it needed to be up there because this is just Martin Scorsese doing what he does best. It's great to see a new film from him. It's great to see him working with Robert De Niro again, who again I have to give a shout out to because him as William Hale, uh, I thought was... I don't even know if I can say this, but I think almost underrated because I know a lot of other people are getting accolades in the film and rightfully so. But Robert De Niro absolutely killed it as William Hale, despite not fully empathizing with his character, which a lot of actors say, look, if you're going to play a bad guy, if you're going to play a real bastard, you have to come at it from an angle of you at least understand where they're coming from. And he in interviews has said, yeah, I, I really I don't really quite get this guy. He was a real bastard. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhart is so, so good. Um, big shout out to the hair and makeup team for making him look like such a rat bastard. He was really, <laughs> really gross. He gave the big ick. His false teeth, his skin complexion, his hair is really disgusting. Norse. Um, Molly, you could have done so much better, girl. For real, and for speaking real. of Molly, you have uh, Lily Gladstone, who was Phenomenal. absolutely incredible to watch um and i mean this in the best way possible but she she was it was really hard to watch her performances because of just the utter heartbreak and loss that she had to endure and just how frustrating it was to watch this story of things that were being sold to these people as you know coincidences or simply bad luck and it was just so obviously oppression and systematic murder and it, it's one of those true stories that uh is fucking is really hard to believe and the fact that it's real you don't want to believe that it's real but it's about the formulation of the fbi how they kind of started off as a gang head by our lovely uh jesse plemons who are on the show it's it's great seeing him <laughs> reunite with uh Martin i Scorsese. like to see a fat um, Clemens. jesus Yes, it's absolutely. nice to see. Um, I like all sizes of Plemons. <laughs> all sizes of Plemons is fantastic, and and then also my last thing because I know it. I think it, we're going to speak about this film later. The involvement of the Osage people um, is fantastic. The actual tribe member, the chief, he is in this film. He plays a part. Um, this is just such a uh, cultural artifact of a film that it it needed needed to be on the list. It yeah. had to be. The blankets were beautiful. So that's uh, Killers of the that. Fire Moon. Yeah. All right, Alexis, you're number six. All right, so here we come to the point of contention. <laughs> uh, I feel like I this know what it's going to be. I haven't seen the list, but I feel like I know what it's going to be. Can you take a guess? Is it Saltburn? No, it's not. Oh, what is it? <laughs> it's the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, The wow. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Well, see, I can't, I can't give you any shit for that because I haven't seen it, so... Yeah. You do you, girl. Yeah. See, just as usual, I'm just bringing the horny energy to this podcast, and that's what I'm here for. The horny fascism. Yes. That man. Absolutely. Okay, so I have confession corner. <laughs> Uh-oh. I saw it a third time <laughs> in wow. theaters um, like a couple it's, weeks it's ago. Elvis. It's 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 not quite Elvis because I feel like I was really just I was just like swept away by Elvis and Austin Butler last year. I and, completely agree. <clears throat> yeah, I was just like completely like the tides were just rolling over me with that movie. Oh my god! <laughs> god, Elvis is such a good film. 
Can, wait, um, hold on. Can I just say no. that this is our second no. uh, this is our no. second year in review episode, and here we are talking about Baz Luhrmann's classic Elvis. I fucking refuse to. I refuse. Uh, by the way, uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is directed by Francis Lawrence. It is, and he directed, I believe, the last three yes. films. He did not yeah. direct the first one, but he directed the last three <laughs> films of the original <laughs> franchise. And I think it actually makes a lot of sense that he would come back and do this one. Anyways, go on. You guys do your number sixes. Mick? Uh, number six is... Dun, 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 Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Do you guys... Um, there are problems that I have with this film, yeah, and I don't care because <laughs> it fucking. Ah, this is like I, your Top Gun Maverick of the year. Uh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it, it, it is not that. Because you had the hey, same thing I, where you were hey, like, "There's something." Not- I, I'd like to get to my number six really quick. Okay. Okay, you do your number six. <clears throat> done. Done. Quick side note. Do you know that this may be one of the first times that we've all in sync done that intro together? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And wasn't it well earned? Yep. You made us work <laughs> yes. for it. I'm I so, fought I'm you so tooth happy and to nail on this, uh. and yet here we are together. Here uh, we are. Alexis, please get into the Hunger Games because Mick and I are going to talk about Mission Impossible for a while. Uh, it's okay because you guys are going to talk about it and I'm also going to talk about it. So. <laughs> um, what can I say about the Hunger Games? It's a, a beautiful man with a blonde wig. Um, oh, I should read the, the description yeah, of it. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, 64 years before he becomes the tyrannical president of Panem, Coriolanus Snow sees a chance for a change in fortunes when he mentors Lucy Gray Baird, the female tribute from District 12. Basically, this movie opens with the fact that um, during the Great War that happens in the Hunger Games, and, you know, as a preface to this, I fucking loved the Hunger Games franchise. I loved the trilogy of the books. Um, I read them multiple times. So, like, just in general, like, I was very deep in the lore of <clears throat> that world. But so, basically, and I'd never read this prequel book before I saw this movie. But so, basically, like, Snow, um, everybody's all fucked up during the war, right? Yeah. And his, him and his cousin, Tigris, are, like, kind of together as children at the beginning of this movie and then his father dies and it's clear that like you know whatever fortune that they had at one time they do not have it anymore so when you go into um the i think it's the movie starts off like a few years before the first annual hunger games and then it it jumps forward a little bit to the 10th annual hunger games which is lucy gray baird's um uh hunger games And he is graduating his last year of school at the academy. And the academy, like for like, I guess, I don't know, high school, whatever the fuck this fucking world thing is, uh, is free, but university is not. And he's been kind of pretending that he has money and like he's so fucking dirt poor, basically. (laughs) So it, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really, I don't really know that it 
actually makes him a sympathetic character necessarily because I think that you really know that every move that he really makes is like calculated but I do think that um Rachel Zegler and him um fuck what is his name um Tom Blythe um they have like this undeniable chemistry in the movie and Rachel Zegler just each time that I've watched the movie, I've liked her more and more and more. She's a fucking star. She really is. There's just this like, like undeniable of like when she sings, you just want to listen to her. And um, I think that another part of this kind of parts of the movie that I really love is that I really love folk music. And like the District 12 is supposedly kind of like Appalachian Mountain kind Appalachia. of. Yeah, you know, and so like it's very like country folk like type of music, you know, like old school kind of. And so I really love the soundtrack. And I think that that's kind of why this movie has such like an immense rewatchability for me is the fact that so many things play into it. It's not just the costume design, uh, the world building of it, and the fact that Tom Blythe is really cute. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> your, evil, really, your evil they, twink of they, the year. They knew what they were doing with that one. They played me for a fool, just like <laughs> Lucy Gray Baird. Um, but, like, the music, the soundtrack, even the so- the couple of the songs that aren't even featured in the movie that are just specifically on the soundtrack I've had, like, on replay um so and and just i think the fact that i could be like i'm gonna go to the movies and see this movie again and then again you know i think it that says something it really does like for me this is like something where it's like oh i could probably just like throw this on at any time and be just happy enough to just watch it you know um i think that there are some very good moments like emotionally of like you know um you know, protest, you know, for the districts and stuff in the movie. I did end up um, listening to the audiobook after our, the second time that I watched the movie. So I had like a lot of context for like what they changed between the book and the movie adaptations. And I do actually like how the, the changes that they made for the movie from the book. Um, I think it made it like visually more compelling. Um, nice. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, honestly, Tom Blythe's so hot. I've just been, like, watching so oh many just, God. like, thirst, thirst, thirst TikToks, you know, like, Enrique and roommates been, like, sending, he, like, ever since that movie came out, he sent me so many fucking just, like, Tom Blythe, snow, thirst talks, like, it's, it just, it's, he's the gift that keeps giving, and honestly, shout out to the fucking um, hair and makeup department, because the wigs that he fucking wore in that movie, 100 out of 10. Wigs on point. Wigs on point. And you know, I am very, going back to Blackberry, okay? That is the one thing in that goddamn movie that kept taking me out of the fucking movie was Jay, Jay Baruchel's wig. fucking wig. I was like, what is that? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, that is like, some Like, that was hair. one thing, one thing that I was like, why? Why is this like this? But not in this movie. I 100% was like, nope, that's... But that, not Hunger Games. Not, not the Hunger, Hunger Games. Games. Good wig. <laughs> what a wig, guys. What a wig. Um, yeah, I, I just... In general, I love a movie that really is just like, we're going to give you somebody that you shouldn't like and you're not really going to like 
at the end of this and you know you're not gonna like him but we're gonna make you horny as fuck in the meantime and you know what what if we made him tasty what if what what if if sexy literally yes 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 yes, yes. (laughs) anyways we can move on now thank you down boy um no, I, I want to see that. I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was just gonna say I'm. I'm probably gonna watch it. Honestly, I, I will have heard, to. Yeah, if you like the original franchise, I think you'll just like this movie well I do. enough. I you do know, like I'll need to watch films. the last one. I I like the first movie's okay. I like Catching Fire a lot. The third movie I really didn't like. Uh, and Hunter Schaefer's also really fourth. good. Yeah. No, I'm definitely gonna check it out. Yeah. Um, and and I mean Viola Davis. Whew. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Mission um, Impossible. All right, Let's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part. I'm so happy that I get to read this, what I'm about to read in our year in review. Ethan Hunt and the IMF team must track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity if it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake, a deadly race around the globe begins. Confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful enemy, Ethan is forced to consider that nothing can matter more than the mission, not even the lives of those he cares about most. This is just the year of AI. It's the year of AI. Um, So I I guess since all three of us, we've seen this, uh, just going to dive into it. Um, The entity. Yeah, this this (laughs) movie, again, I I have problems with it. uh, Certain kind of nitpicky things, but... This movie contains within it sequences, moments, and scenes that stick with me more than I think even the movie that I have ranked at number one for me. Um, In fact, I would even begin to say this is now the part of the list for me where, yes, I have the the next films after this ranked in order, but they're all kind of interchangeable in certain ways. Um, yeah, my five but, through two are a lot like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I'm very excited to see it in tandem with Part 2 when that eventually comes out to see if it improves it or maybe uh, lets it down a little bit. We don't know. Um, but the sequence uh, with um, Grace played by Haley Atwell in the little Fiat 500 electric car, the little so yellow good. one. So fucking good. So, which, a so great funny. Great visual comedy. Yeah. Great action. The car chases in this film are amazing. And I don't think there is a scene that was put, at least that I can think of, uh, uh, on the big screen that was better than the big, than the final train um, finale where they're jumping from car to car. Yeah, that should have me on the edge of my that seat. Was, Say that again. That shit had me on the edge of my seat, to be honest. The train yeah. sequence. Yeah. It was it, it, it's so well done. I can't believe that, the, that they actually built that train and they actually did that stuff. I mean, they actually yeah. launched a steam locomotive off a cliff. It's so fucking um, sick. It's, it's so <laughs> good. It's so fucking so crazy. Good. You know, say what you will about Tom Cruise, but. I just have to say, after seeing Risky Business for the first time and all the different movies that I've seen of Tom Cruise over the years, that man is really such a well-rounded actor. Like, yeah. and 
he is like a robot you, built in a lab to be the perfect movie star. You just like don't. I don't know. I think because like you think of him as like movie star. He's done hot guy things. He's doing action star things. I don't know that I like necessarily. And and like you know he's done Top Gun. I'm like I know he can be like charming and charismatic. You know, but I don't necessarily like think quite a lot about him intrinsically being like a comedic actor necessarily, but he's so natural. I think it's because it's so natural the way that he's comedic. It's just in the delivery. Like he's not being overtly comedic most of the time. It's just, it's really just in the delivery of his lines or his facial movements or something. I I know people compare him to Jackie Chan in the sense of, you know, he's a guy who does his own stunts. Yes. But I think a comparison that you should make with Jackie Chan with him is what you're talking about, Alexis, which is his ability to, during a physical sequence, never stop acting. Yeah, Yeah. a man who can act once he has launched himself off of a cliff on a motorcycle, that is is a fucking actor. Um, Yes. uh, Yeah. Yeah. His, His facial expressions during the car chases are just, they're perfect. They're absolutely perfect. Yeah. Uh, a couple Zach, of things away, your that I'd, I'd like to bring up about this movie. I, I also have some problems with it. Uh, they did my girl Elsa dirty. Um, yep. Elsa. But uh, I, I want to <laughs> shout out uh, two things. One, Haley Atwell uh, is, I think, the first like true kind of almost co-lead in any of these movies. She yeah. really has the emotional arc of this movie, and I think it's executed very well. Um. It's, it's just nice to she's someone who I've always thought is a very like talented, charismatic performer who was kind of underserved by the Marvel movies. You know, what's so funny is that I yeah. didn't realize until after I saw this movie that I know her really well from a movie. And it was 2008's The Duchess with Kira Knightley. OK, I love that movie. And I didn't realize that she oh. was the other woman that played opposite of Kira Knightley. I haven't seen that. So good. Uh, the other thing that I would like to shout out in this movie is the entity. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yes, please get into the, the entity. entity yeah. Uh, I think it's maybe the, like, I love Henry Cavill, but the entity might be my favorite villain in this franchise. Who better to stand up to a man? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me, let me go back to my review because I really want to read this section of it. Please. Okay. So from which movie is it? Is it fucking the fourth one? No, it's a fifth one, huh? Hunt is uniquely trained and highly, and highly motivated. motivated. A special specialist yeah, without one. equal, <laughs> immune to any countermeasure. He has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move. And I basically said in my review, Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Yes! Once you have established this as fucking canon in this goddamn world, the only thing worthy enough to be Hunt's ultimate villain is, in fact, a computer using algorithms to strike in whatever direction he moves. Yeah. That's why AI is the perfect villain for and Ethan it's, Hunt. It's also the perfect yeah. villain for Tom Cruise, <laughs> yeah. who yeah, notoriously the films yeah Yeah, notoriously hates digital filmmaking Mm -hmm. and uh on uh mission impossible ghost protocol when there was a discussion about uh creating like a digital tom cruise to 
do the Burj Khalifa sequence. Uh -huh. He was like, there is no digital Tom, only Tom. Uh, right. Well, let's, it, it was Mission Impossible 3 where he, he skydives from a skyscraper and they did that on a green screen. And Tom Cruise was like, never again. Never again in this franchise will we do something as chicken shit or AKA as safe and controlled <laughs> as LOL, this. LOL. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's it's fantastic. I mean, Alexis, that speech uh, uh, beautifully delivered by Alec Baldwin in, in the gosh. fifth one is kind of given a, a wink at by by Shay Wiggum, who played oh Jasper my gosh, Briggs. Yes. When they're in the Osprey and they're flying to that airport, he's talking about, you know, he, do not consider this man neutralized until you have driven a wooden stake through his open heart. Yeah, he it's, is a he is a nice. mind reading, shape shifting <clears throat> incarnation of chaos. Yeah, which is why yeah, the entity it's nice can't that when the him. other characters in the film have finally kind of like woken up and smelled the coffee of like what this guy actually is capable of, because we as audience members know that. You cannot an underestimate this man. But you have Henry Zerny coming back as Kit Rich. Oh you have Carrie God. Elvis as Dellinger. You have... This is also a fucking... Can we just talk about the fucking female power Yo, of this film? The ladies. Palm Clementif. Vanessa Kirby. Haley Atwell. Rebecca Ferguson. Choke me out until I die. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say it's incredible. thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I really love this film. Uh, it's one of my favorites in the franchise. It, it didn't quite hit the heights of Fallout for me, but it came right. pretty fucking close. I agree. Um... And yeah, I, I like so, that. Oh. I like that it's instead of. It's the first of, one I've ever seen in theaters, though. Thank you, Alexis. Well, what's in your mouth? There, there? it is. <laughs> nice. That's Alexis eating everybody. Yeah, it's you. You know you wanted it. You know you missed it. You know. Here's That's the Alexis thing. having her cake remember, and eating it too. Do you remember that one episode where I came in so angry because I hadn't eaten, and then I just started eating chips off the yeah. air? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. Well, I think we can move on to our number five. Uh, yeah. Who, who goes first? Mick, you do. I already lost track. You do, buddy. I do? Okay. Uh, well, for me, coming in at number five is Saltburn, directed by Emerald Fennel. Delectable. Mm. <laughs> we'll get yes. into it. We'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> my number five is Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Also uh, delectable. My number five. My number five is um, Priscilla, directed by Sofia Coppola. Oh, Coppola. Nice. There we go. <laughs> Sofia Coppola. I, I missed Priscilla. I really wanted to see it. That you definitely should have. I think you would have. You know what's so funny is that in many ways I'm like I actually can't tell would you like it more i think you'd like it more than elvis but i don't know if you'd love it either yeah I, i'm yeah. interested to yeah. watch it uh mick please salt it's burn. not hard for hard for you to like something more than elvis though so i feel like maybe that's an unfair yeah, that's estimation a, that's a low bar you know what's funny is maestro in some ways reminded me a lot of elvis but i think did what elvis was doing a little better um I didn't even really, honestly, like, I was like, I could care less about Bradley Cooper. It was all about Carey Mulligan for me in that I, movie. I thought he was great in that movie. I, I really enjoyed his I performance. I think he was great, but oh. I think that he totally <laughs> let Carey Mulligan just, like, totally steal it away. Yeah. Like, not, not, I think that was, like, somewhat purposeful. Yeah, no, I, I do think he centered her 
which was was an interesting take. Um, I, think I might revisit that movie sometime. I think I might like it she, more I think on she's a rewatch. Like the emotional tether of the relationship, and then I think that's why he did that. So yeah. Mick. I, I still have to watch it, so Saltburn. I'm excited. Saltburn. Um, Saltburn, uh, like I said, directed by Emerald Fennel, uh, is about. It's on all. Well, of I guess list. here it says distraught it's by his classmate Oliver. <gasps> inf- what? It's for sure not on my list. I don't even want to look. What at, is I don't it? Even Saltburn. Look at you. Yeah, nowhere, nowhere Where's close it? to my list. Distraught by his classmates, Oliver's unfortunate living situation, Felix, a rich student, invites him over to his estate. Soon, a series of horrifying events engulf Felix's family. Um, this was a movie, this is going to be a weird way to start this, this was a movie that I didn't particularly enjoy. Um, because it's, uh, it's, it, it kind of made me angry. It was like, it was like, watch, it was like Parasite a little bit. Uh, the Bong Joon-ho film. It was like a lot about, of better uh, movies. It was a movie that infiltrates uh, this rich, wealthy family, and I'm not I'm not partial to the rich and wealthy, as I am not one, and I think they uh, are, are the root of a lot of problems in society, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I ended up feeling sad, uh, a little like fucking hell, like these people are getting fucking fucked over by... Uh, Oliver Quick, played by Barry. Please tell me that's not Keegan? your takeaway. <laughs> is it Keegan or Keoghan? Uh I think either is fine, but Keegan is how he okay. says it. Barry Keegan. But Barry Keegan is a fucking force of nature. As I've said in the past, and I will say again, that he is the best of sinister little freaks. He's so Indeed. good at it. Jacob Elordi as Felix was fantastic. I loved the sexual tension between those characters uh archie uh Medequi, i think uh, who played uh farley he's really really good roseman pike is so good in this film i really like roseman pike roseman pike was fantastic richard e grant was so fucking weird i love richard e grant he always plays a weirdo um <laughs> carrie mulligan was hilarious i wish that she was in the film more um but this this movie dared to go in in certain directions that I kind of knew was going to like it, like this though the, this moment is going to this conclusion yeah and oh my god the movie is actually doing that and that makes me so happy that this movie is that debaucherous that indecent um I really I really enjoyed Promising Young Women uh also directed by Emerald Fennel who um, I'm currently actually I'm still watching The Crown and she plays Camilla in The she Crown, does. so it's kind of interesting. She also plays it's a nurse. Watching her, it's also she also plays a nurse in um, uh, Call Me Call the Midwife, which is how I actually oh, okay. originally knew her before she even directed a Promising Young Woman. I saw her right. in Call the Midwife. Uh, nice. Very different tone of all these movies. So. <laughs> Here are my thoughts on Saltburn, uh, a movie that I thought was all right, uh, but I didn't particularly enjoy. I thought the first half of Saltburn was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed it being sort of horny and excessive. Uh, I thought all of that was a good time. I feel like when the movie pivots into essentially becoming the talented Mr. Ripley, I got fucking right. sick of it. 
Uh, I really just found it incredibly derivative. And when it tried to say things about class, I found it incredibly simplistic. Uh, I think that it's a movie that, honestly, I would have full-blown not liked if it didn't have such a great cast. I'm not um, entirely sure mm. it really was saying something specific about class. To well, be I think it makes gestures towards it, and I think it does a poor job. Um, I don't know. I I think that it's a movie that uh, throws in a lot of excess to paper over that it's not really about anything. Um, I oh, I could not disagree. I enjoyed the excess. Even if that was opening. true, uh, I still love that. But, like, I, I don't... Listen, last year, the film that I was out on YouTube on, I was a lot more out. Yeah. Uh, this one, it just, it kind of fell apart for me in the back half. I enjoyed the final scene. I thought that was very fun. No, that kind no, of, no yeah. prosthetic inside, baby. <laughs> that, yeah. I, there was a point early in the movie where I was like, are they going to show it? And then they hadn't, and I was like, cowards. And then they showed it. Good so good for that him. Honestly, good made, for him. That honestly, maybe you won me over. One of my bit. the the thing is when I was watching this film, even though I I found it kind of a horrifying experience, I also felt very in sync with it, um, because the scene after Jacob Elordi has been uh, spoiler alert after he's been buried, there's a funeral, and you see. In a wide shot, you see the freshly uh, dug dirt. You see the mound that is above his grave. And you see him, you see Oliver starting to kind of like lay on it a little bit. And I was kind of thinking in my head, I was going, look, this is a weird film. But if I were him, I would start fucking the ground. <laughs> And then he takes his pants off. Did this movie make you feel starts, seen? <laughs> it made me feel seen because I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, because like the, the, those little evil voices in your head that tell you to do something like, you know, really make, fucked up. This movie did, did that. You, I was like, oh, my God, this is doing everything I would do. Do you remember um, when I texted you about which point of the movie that I thought, oh, Mick's going to love this <laughs> That was it? No, it wasn't that. <laughs> Make it was it, okay he, it, was it when he drank the cummy bathwater? No. No, 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 no. I think it's quite obvious. <laughs> Zach, you know me. Uh, oh, was it? Okay, no, just say it's it. It's the vampire scene. I'm a vampire, dude. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, no, as soon yeah. as that part happened, I was like... You know what sick fuck's gonna love this? <laughs> Mick. <Yeah. laughs> he's that's, that's he's like, the scene where like she's like, I'm on my period. And he's like, Oh, that's too bad. I'm a fucking oh, yeah, vampire. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. all yeah. I was all <laughs> No, that was fun. Yeah. And that was from the portion of the movie that I was enjoying much more. Yeah, no, but like for me, like so much of this movie was so fun because it was like Especially like in the first half of like those themes that are I I I'm just, I don't know necessarily that they're there for shock factor, but they're like they're there and they were moments of like I know who's gonna love this. <laughs> and like there's like there's moments yeah. of like I love this and then there's oh I know Mick's gonna love this, you it's, know? It's like, interesting so, because I've been Or accused, like the girlies I'm, are gonna love this. I've, I've been accused of not being a sick freak, and I think I just like different sick freak shit than you guys. Because I love John Waters. 
I love I love like yeah. real real fucking transgressive like weird shit. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, we're just like not, we're just like the... sexually predatory, maybe. Oh well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, anyway, I think in, she's in nailing weird, it on the head in the weird way, you know that you can be, you know. Uh, so here's a question: huh. Is this film gonna come up later? Yeah. All right. Do we want to table it and wait? Hold on. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yes, we'll table it. We'll let's, table yeah, it. let's get back to it later. I want to talk about poor things. Go ahead. Um, uh, poor things. The first thing that I kind of thought when I was sitting in the car after the movie was I was like, this is kind of my version of Barbie. Um, I think it. I think it's a much better visual, a much better representation of what I understand to be feminism than what Barbie is. Yes, I think it's a more complex look. Uh, it gets into communism, which I enjoy. Um, yeah. so- but uh, the description of poor things. Brought back to life by an unorthodox scientist, a young woman runs off with a lawyer on a whirlwind adventure across the continents. Free from the prejudices of her times, she grows steadfast in her purpose to stand for equality and liberation. I think... Okay, go on, Zach, because I have things to say. Emma fucking Stone. Emma fucking Stone. Emma she's, motherfucking she's, Stone. You know, Mark Ruffalo has, in interviews, just gushed and gushed and gushed about her and, like, how he thinks, like, she's going to just become one of the greats. And I... I Totally, I, I totally believe that. I I love that she has yeah. found a director mm-hmm. who, and it, like looking at early career Emma Stone, I would not have pegged her for. But Yorgos Lanthimos' views. But at the same time, it's kind of that in even the earlier stuff that she's done, she's always been willing to fully send it. Yeah, she loves you know? to just go yeah. there. She and just loves to go there. And I think that this is a director who's just like, as far as you can take it, let's go there. This is a fearless movie. I, 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 don't, I remember, I, I will say really quickly, if I can, uh, th- I think if there's any movie experience or lack thereof that has burned me the most this year, it was having scheduled a double date to go see poor things the Sunday before I tested positive for COVID. Brutal. And this movie does not come out in Europe until January 12th. And I leave before then. So I am, I have not seen it and I know I would fucking love it. Yeah. Um, But I will say that the moment that I kind of realized that Emma Stone was going to be something special was in Birdman because she delivers this monologue to Michael Keaton that I was like, oh my god, she is a force of fucking nature. Yeah, so anyways, that's the only thing that I can movie. add to this conversation. Um, this is, my number fives through two, I think, not that my number one doesn't have a good ensemble, but like the casts are really big mm-hmm. in five through two, and I think this is a film with just a great fucking ensemble. Uh, yeah. Despite not loving Sanctuary as much as you two, uh, Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley both show up in this thing. They do, yeah. Uh, and they're both, oh, really? yeah, they're both fucking great. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, did not know they were in it. Neither um, did I. <laughs> but yeah, other than Emma Stone, who just delivers the performance of her career. Yeah, you know, to be honest, when I, when I saw, so I saw this movie literally like maybe like a week ago with my sister, like, yeah. I think like last Saturday. And, um, I didn't love the first part like the black and white like i was like okay i like it you know yeah. like it's you know I, I i hate using the term art housey you know but like you know with the black and white and the aspect ratio i was like mm, okay yeah i can see i mean like i think it's a good movie but then as soon as like she got out into the world in lisbon 
and it became like color and in general she was exploring more i really the comedy of yeah. that at that point the relationship between her and mark ruffalo was so fucking this is funny. what i want to get into so this is what funny. i really want to get into they're so ruffalo, good together ruffalo he's incredible he gets to do something he, i've never I think, seen him do I think this before he said that he has been playing a lot of sad dads um and like yeah he get, just gets to be a rake and a scumbag and you know, a bastard. I always and remember him from 13 going on 30 as like the sweetest man. And so to see him in this role, I was like, oh my God, can you imagine how fun it was to he do this? looks like he is having the time of his fucking life. Yes. This has really been the year of uh, MCU alumni spreading their wings and flying. <laughs> uh, and it's beautiful yeah. to see Willem Dafoe as always Fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Rami Youssef. Oh, great. he was. I Gerard really loved Carmichael. him. Carmichael. Um, but the other thing that I would like to shout out in this movie, talking about Saltburn being willing to go places, Poor Things is willing to fucking go places in its sexual content, yeah. in its violence, yeah. in just like bizarre and gross it concepts. It was very bizarre in some ways. And yet is a very like sweet human yeah. film about the nature of being and the nature of femininity and being a woman and existing in a patriarchal society. Like it really, it nailed the themes that I think Barbie explored well, but this explored in a fucking phenomenal way. Also, it just, I just looks incredible. There's nothing that looks like it's this. It's so interesting because if, if you think about it in a way, Barbie and poor things exist on two kind of ends of the spectrum in a way because you have you have in Barbie a character who is the stereotypical ideal of kind of what a woman is and exists as in some ways and then you have Emma Stone's Bella who comes into being like they both come into being as these new creations in a way in seeing the real world for the first time. But in many ways, Bella is completely new. She has no preconceptions of what it even means to be a woman in the way that any of us have ever understood because we're socially conditioned to understand what a woman means. Yeah. And so I think that it goes much more interesting places with it because of that and sexually can go very interesting oh, ways because obviously definitely. you know Barbie's about this doll there's nothing really sexual about her other than the way that she as, presents as, as Kate a woman. McKinnon says about Ken I'd love to see what his flesh-colored lump looks like down there <laughs> yeah and so I don't know I just I love the fact that you know Emma Stone's character it's like what would a woman look like if they were suddenly just a woman in a world, but they had never had any preconceived notions of what it meant to be proper or uh, any sort of societal expectations of what it means to be a woman. And uh, the her discovering masturbating for the first time. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I was like, yeah, that's real. Like, she just, there's just like, she just has this moment of like, oh, that kind of feels good. And then she just can't stop doing it. And then like she, there's even like this like moment with... <laughs> 
you know, they're at the breakfast table and she's like, actually, you know, if you just, you know, I bet you I could probably fit. And then (laughs) she even like her, like her, like woman that like is supposed to take care of her. She's just like, what do you, she just like grabs her. Oh my God. It's just like, there's just like those moments. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I think this might be my favorite of Yorgos Lanthimos' The Furious films. Jumping? Fu- I, I was about to say, Not her the term furious for jumping. sex. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, Alexis, you're number five, please. Um, yeah, Mick, you really just need to go see Poor Things. Like, to be honest, please yeah. go see it. Oh, I will. Yeah. I think it's the first thing I do when I'm back in LA, quite honestly. Yeah, also, I just have to say, what is it, Rami Yusuf? Yeah. I love his character. He's great. He is who I would like if I had to end up with somebody who is like male presenting or anything like that. That's exactly what I would want. Somebody who's like, you've done blah, blah, blah. I just find myself jealous of their time with you. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? You're a king. Go off, you drop something. It was your goddamn crown, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Priscilla. <laughs> Look at <on> me. <coughs> I just love a movie that's about a woman by a woman. Do I really need to say too much more? I feel like I already kind of talked about it before. I think it's a really good companion piece to Elvis in a lot of ways because you see, I think, I think if you watch Elvis first and you see the, 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 the icon, the image of what, what we, what we are supposed, what we've been told to see. With too much rain. <laughs> God damn it, Zach, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Um, I think that Priscilla is the, night? I'm really ready. I'm super ready. I'm, I feel like it's the perfect companion because then you get to see, you know, what's behind the curtain. Um, what is often always behind a man is the woman, you know, and especially in this sense, him. that's what I hope to see. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Zach. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm trying desperately to have like a serious thought about this movie, but now all I can see I'm being is a villain. I'm being a villain and I apologize. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, in general, like the costume design, hair and makeup team, like overall, just like the vision is so there. And I think that that's one of the strongest points for Sofia Coppola is that um, whatever movie that she creates, there's always a vision for it, especially when she does like a period drama. There is a very specific um, vision and look and aesthetic to it that I think um, is very like. I hate the term female gaze, too, but it is that's what it is. You know, it's what I want to see personally in most films that are about women is the way that, you know, she portrays these scenes. Those like the quiet moments are the ones that make um, that matter the most to me, um, because those are the moments where somebody is really sitting with what they're thinking about in in their relationship, in their in their marriage, in in their life. Um, And uh, I think that Priscilla really explores this for a character that it's like, we also, you know, as, as just like Elvis, we've always just understood her to be like this icon, you know? 
and to see her story humanized in a way that like really, um, I think makes it so much more clear the way that she was, um, groomed and, um, led into this relationship with somebody. And even, even if we can understand that, you know, to her, like this would have been the, the love of her life. We can understand that the, the power imbalance, um, in this relationship was so great that, you know, that it was highly abusive, you know, and just, you know, all these different things. And Jacob Lordy is so cute. Oh boy. (laughs) And I think that that, I think that it's a good choice though, because it's like, despite the fact that he is cute and he is quiet and there are some things that you like about his character, you can still see and understand how, um, even just little comments to be made to somebody can take down, can, can eradicate their sense of self, you know, and really, um, put them in a place where they're just subservient, subservient to you, you know, and not able to, uh, venture out of that, of that world, you know, I love the way that this movie is framed because in many ways there's constantly this, framing of her in as if she's very small in the space and she is a small actress you know jacob, yeah, Lordy jacob is a very, Lordy's a giant man he's a giant man but in general the way that she's framed in the house makes her look small it makes her look like she's a doll in a doll house it makes her and which just totally goes in line with the fact that he's created essentially this ideal woman and she's just trying to live in the skin of this woman that he's decided she needs to be, you know? And uh, that's why the ending of the movie is so impactful to me. And the, and that's the other thing about Sofia Coppola is that she's so good at um, choosing the music that she has in her films. She always has been. Yeah. And the song at the very end, the Dolly Parton, I will always love you. I think, I think it's really the perfect representation of what it feels like to say goodbye to a situation that you know wasn't good for you, that hasn't been good for you for a long time, and but that you just aren't going to be let, you can't let go of it, you know? Yeah. And so in general, I think it was a really fucking good character study into Priscilla Presley. Nice. Well, I yeah, I'm I, definitely going to check that out. I agree with that. It, it just barely got edged out of my honorable mentions. Um Something that I thought the film did incredibly well was watching the arc of Priscilla kind of slowly gain agency like throughout the film was very real. The uh, I I watched it. I watched this film uh, with my partner and there's a scene where Elvis, he, he he's he's having a manic episode and he's tossing all of her shit into a suitcase and throwing it out, being like, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, I can't handle this kind of thing. My partner went, oh, this is this is really triggering. This is like because this is his inability to regulate his emotions is something that a lot of men struggle with. Yeah, especially of of this era. And Elvis in particularly was a person that didn't really know who the fuck he was. Yeah. Something that I talked about during my quick review in in the past episode was how this movie was actually kind of like weirdly funny. And a lot of the humor I thought came from how Elvis is a bit of a dope. He the the one sequence where I laughed out loud was where, you know, she's trying to be intimate with him and he isn't interested in being intimate. 
and he's he's reading this book about philosophy and he goes priscilla you know if you cannot appreciate philosophy the way i do you know this is never gonna work kind of thing it's like, <laughs> what the fuck are you dude like dude you probably just found this and you're like you're on page five and you're taking notes and it's just like in seeing her slowly realize like who this guy really is but also realizing that yes this love was there it was just really toxic and super manipulative on his on his part like when she shows up in this really beautiful contemporary dress from the 60s and he's like and it's loose fitting and he's oh that does nothing for your figure yeah and it just shows that he dictated she was she was his barbie yeah really he needed a doll to yeah. play with. And I really, I think, I think Sofia Coppola really did knock it out of the park with this. I, I think. So I agree. Good choice. I think that's the other thing that I really liked about the movie was just the fact that the, um, the, the time period, like you can see the social context for how their relationship and therefore how she views the relationship changes over time. And that can also be a representation of how time has changed as well from like when she meets him in the fifties to the sixties and women, women's and you know, the, the late sixties where the women's liberation and everything. Like, I think that it's that through line is very clear, like timeline wise and in the way that she grows and in the way that the costume changes grow as well. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, overall, Especially- really good. Yeah. Yeah. Especially considering how fucking low budget this movie was. Like I looked at it. It's like I don't remember the ex- exactly, but it's a very low budget. And she loves her indies. To, even the set design, like when she's getting her hair done and she's in the the the, hair, the old fashioned hair drying yeah. machines in the magazines that they're reading. It really took you back to that era. And that I will put in the same list as the holdovers, two movies that fucking knocked it out of the park with period hair. Yeah. They really nailed the period hair, and that's so important. Nice. They also nailed how fucking long it takes to get that fucking hair. <laughs> yeah, for the real. That process. was a process. <laughs> All right. Well, number four. I'm I'm kicking this one off. Uh, All right. And my number four of the year uh, is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Ooh. That's crazy. Alexis. You want to take one guess what my number four is? Did you get your op slopped? I got my op slopped. Hell yeah. <laughs> and nice. Mick? My number four is, uh, well, I'll go into it in a little bit, but my number four is Close, directed by Lucas Don't. Well, why don't Which I don't know if oh either of you saw this. That was the, I fucking forgot I, that. I remember one. seeing the trailer for that, but I, I didn't see it. Mick, why don't you yeah. start? Because yeah, Alexis and yeah. I both have Oppenheimer here. Yeah. In my, I will say my Oppenheimer, my Sloppenheimer will happen later on. Okay, well, yeah, um, we'll get into it a little. For sure. But uh, so close. Uh, this might be a little bit of a cheat because it's officially released in 2022 because it did this very long film festival circuit. And then it was released in the U.S., like in New York for like one week in like December. Oh, uh, yeah, you can but count that. Get, you can count that. It didn't it didn't get its like main U.S. theatrical release until February of 2023. That's why so, The Innocent is on my list. It's the same thing. It didn't get released yeah. until March in the U.S. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to count it as a 2023 movie. Um, close is uh, the 13 year old boys. Leo and Remy have a close friendship at school and in the flower fields where they and their parents pick the harvest for home. When schoolmates shoot a wedge into the relationship, the consequences are fatal. 
Um, this is a movie from Belgium. Um, this was a movie I saw by myself. It was one of the first films that I saw in the new year that really hit me. Um, basically, uh, not to not to really spoil anything too much, but uh, I guess I kind of have to. But these two kids are both these 13-year-old boys who are just the best of friends. And they, um, they're extremely comfortable with each other as people are when they are that age. You know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll have sleepovers. They'll cuddle. They'll, you know, they'll engage in tickle fights and stuff like that to the point of where like other students begin to That's why you keep your door take unlocked. notice. They begin to take notice of how intimate their friendship is. And then one of them, I believe it's at lunchtime in the cafeteria, asks, are you guys boyfriends? Mm-hmm. Like, are you guys, like, basically, are you gay? Yeah. And our main character, Leo, who is played superbly by an actor named Eden Dambreen, um, he gets cold feet. He, he succumbs to this societal pressure, this peer pressure that, that boys are meant to be straight the film never goes into the the sexuality of these of these characters. It ne- it's not it has no interest in investigating that. Mm-hmm. Um, but e- Leo gets cold feet, and then as you know, k- kids do, completely cuts off his friend. Yeah, kind of basically ghosts him. Now, bear in mind, like they they ride their bikes together to school every fucking morning, and they ride their bikes home together every fucking day. So a ma- it's like a it's like a really awful breakup. It's like all of a sudden this person is not interested in spending any time with you at all just because of what some other people said. And it's so devastating to his friend Remy, played by Gustav Diwale, that he takes his own life. Jesus. And the movie is about how this death affects the community, how it affects the parents of Remy, who was who they were basically like a surrogate family for Leo, our main character. And it is the most heart wrenching. It is the, it is so hard to watch. And yet it is oddly the most beautiful movie I think of the year. It, it, and I know how hard it is to make a a, a good film. We've all worked on films. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a, an oxymoron when I say this, but it it felt so effortless and how beautiful the story was and how beautiful the cinematography was because obviously it takes immense effort. But this movie just seemed so naturally at peace with itself and its story and how it wasn't judging characters. It doesn't ask you to vilify the main character for doing what he did because at the end of the day these these they have it's the brain of a 13 year old yeah yeah you can't you can't be angry at these kids for doing this but i remember when i left the theater i sat in my car for i think about 15 minutes just like not driving anywhere just like processing what the hell i had just seen um because it was just it's just one it's just one of those fucking movies that Europe squeaks out every now yeah. and then it's just like fucking hell they have the mastery of this uh, of this craft of, of filmmaking so uh, I don't know if it's on streaming it should be uh, I really want to rewatch it actually but close 
um, yeah. again, that was like, like that came out, I think, of February or March or something like that. And it has remained all year in, in the top 10 for me. So I think that was recommend. like a 2022 movie that was on my list to watch. And then I fucking didn't end up watching it at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And then I didn't yeah. I didn't add it to my 2023 list. So I totally forgot about it. I'm definitely going to catch I was, that. Yeah. Though. It is devastating. Glad, glad you brought it up. I was surprised. To, I, I feel like we saw fewer movies together this year, so I was curious yeah. what would crop up, and that, that sounds like a fantastic film. Um, Jobbert, Robert, Oppenheimer. Yes. Blip, 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 blip. What a picture. <laughs> uh, this is... I feel like... A lot of people uh, with the holdovers really brought that up as like a, wow, they don't make them like this anymore. Uh-huh. They don't fucking make yeah. them like this anymore. <laughs> like, back in the day, the presumptive winner of Best Picture of any year yeah. would often be one of its highest grocers, and it would be a big-budget, often historical drama for adults. Yeah, It's rated R. Yeah. And you just don't really get that kind of thing anymore until you do. Yeah. Oppenheimer is like the pinnacle and the culmination of Christopher Nolan's craft and style. Uh, It has Killian Murphy's best performance, an actor who I fucking love. Yeah. Uh, One of my favorite first time watches of the year that was not a new movie uh, was Sunshine, Danny Boyle's movie. And it's, you know, oh, one yeah. of the few movies where Killian Murphy gets to play a lead. And, you know, he's been a supporting player for Nolan for, you know, since 2005. Um, and it's just wonderful to get to see him take the center stage and deliver this incredible performance that's so internal and subtle uh, and, like... Listen, I think Bradley Cooper's good in Maestro, but I swear to fucking God, if he wins over Killian Murphy at the Oscars, that will be... I There's will be no upset. Way. He might. There's no He's, way. The Oscars love Bradley Cooper. I could just see no it happening. No way that Maestro fucking yeah. wins over... I don't think it's going to win no. director or picture, but I could see it squeaking in an actor, and it would upset me. Because I mean, I kind of hope that, like, Carrie Mulligan gets, like, a nominee. Oh, she definitely will. You know? But I just, I can't, I mean, the cinematography, yeah, but I don't, I'm not sure that, like, I don't know. This Anyways, is, okay. like, I, I, I often bemoan, like, oh, do the Oscars have to do fucking historical biopics every single year? Yeah. This is, like, it doesn't feel like any other historical biopic. It's really Nolan busting out all of the tools in his toolbox that sometimes bother me, but here I think are just deployed so fucking effectively. The multiple time periods really work. The uh, shift in black and white to color really works. It's a movie about guys talking in rooms largely. I also really love the fact that the black and white is for a later time period rather than the previous time period that we see in color. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's, during the period where Oppenheimer's life is falling apart. Um, yeah. uh, it had one of the most chilling endings of the year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, Marvel alums spreading their wings and flying. Robert Downey Jr. Motherfucking Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So fucking so good. good. The whole, I mean, talk about ensembles. Yeah, like, incredible. E- Emily Blunt. Wow. Yeah. Everyone in this movie, I, like everyone in this movie has led a movie at some point. Um, 
and it's just it's so good the the one performance that i'd like to shout out mm. uh because i like the actor and i feel like he's been gone uh-huh. for quite a while is alden ehrenreich uh who is sharing the screen with yeah. robert downey jr uh he kind of oh yeah uh, yeah as the senate aide yeah he i feel like he kind of disappeared after solo and I was really bummed about that because uh, I love him in uh, Hail Caesar. I think he's like such a dynamic. I still have to watch that. Scre- he I is s- so funny. I, I I remember him from Beautiful Creatures, a not a not great movie, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I would really recommend uh, Hail Caesar. But yeah, it's just like it is what big budget Hollywood filmmaking can be, and I'm so glad that. It became a big ass hit, almost a billion dollars. Yeah. It was a phenomenon. People saw it. People loved it. I loved it. Oppenheimer. What a picture. Yeah. Yeah. This is a. Uh, so I, I I mentioned that the Iron Claw and what was the other one that was a five star? God damn it. Uh, Godzilla. Godzilla. This is my <laughs> other five star. Like I just I saw this movie and I immediately was like, yep, that's like I just. I walked away from the theater just thinking like that, that just had to be a five star for me. Like, I think the, it's so hard to grab people when you're, especially you're doing a movie that's as long as this to grab and keep hold of your audience for the total of the three hours there was definitely and i think this is why killers of the flower moon didn't make my top 10 was because it was so long and and i definitely had this moment of like oh my god this movie is so fucking long interesting you know and and i didn't experience that with oppenheimer that and i think for me and my attention span problems <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that it is, I think that's a testament to how, um, high octane <laughs> in a way, Ooh. uh, this movie Whoa. really is. Um, because once it gets going, it doesn't fucking stop. Like there's always like these moments of intrigue between the characters, um, or the situation. Um, it, it feels like a thriller in many ways. And so uh, throughout, I think another part of me was like, I've like, I think the thing that I didn't like about killers of flower moon was like how much time we spent with the white men of the story. And Mm. I was like, I fucking hate these men. (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to see them anymore. Um, and uh, obviously there was a uh, for the most part only only white men in Oppenheimer. I was gonna say there's nothing but white men in Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. An amuse bouche of white guys. Yeah, and, yes. um, but there was just I just don't I don't know. Maybe it's just the Irish man Killian Murphy himself, but I fucking love him. And Emily Blunt as his wife so good. was so fucking compelling. Like the few scenes that she had, like especially towards the end where she's her fucking testimony, her testimony. Woo! Wow. Uh, she just, and you really think, you know, you, the way that she's played the character up until this point, you really, you're, you're unsure. And I think that's, kind of part of what's so great about the movie is that there's so many things about the characters that you don't know until they deliver it, yeah. you know? And, and that was one of the things that I loved about that moment was that you, you're not sure if, if she's going to come through and then she really does in this incredible way for him. Um, 
And just the sleaze of Robert Downey Jr. This the absolute sleaze of him. Yeah. And um Lewis Straws. It's yeah. what a yeah. fucking performance. Yeah. I I feel like we should table it for now. Yeah. Because it's gonna come back. There's other yeah. stuff I want to say about Oppenheimer as well. Okay. Uh great. Alexis, you're number three, if you please. You know what? I'm gonna pee again. All right. Number three, Alexis. <sighs> Please? Saltburn? Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I've said my piece on Saltburn. <laughs> Mick, uh, Mick? Number three for me is a movie we briefly talked about before, Past Lives. Oh, nice. And my number three... It's a Bubble Yeager. It is John Wick Chapter 4, directed by Chad Stahelski. Wow. And wow. Uh, Past Lives is uh, Celine's song, right? Yeah. Yes, directed by Celine Song. It's also on my list. All right. Alexa? Zachy Boy? Please, take it away. Your final thoughts on Saltbird. My, you know what? If I had to just, like, say one statement about Saltburn, I'm not going to just say one statement, but if I had to say just one statement... um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to, but if I had to. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Then why say that at all? (laughs) If not do, why say? (laughs) If you stuck it out to this point, I fucking love you. Yeah. Oh, man. Our loyal fans. Yeah. Um, Our best of 2022 episode did really good. Yeah. I mean, basically... If Saltburn was cum in bathwater, I would also lick the drain. <laughs> and Mick, past lives? I thought of that when I was peeing right now. <laughs> Great. Oh, Fucking fantastic. awesome. That um, makes sense. It does, doesn't it? It um, does, <laughs> doesn't it? Make all the things... It does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's so me coded why is she so me coded <laughs> um okay i'm gonna try to catch my breath really quick uh i think part of the allure of Saltburn is not just the movie but it's all the interview and press junkets that i've also seen that are just adding to it but even if it that, that shit wasn't going on, when I saw this movie, I literally was just like, oh, the, I think there's like this thing that I just really love about color. I love color in film. Yeah, it is a beautiful movie. And I, there were so many moments where I was like, I could just freeze this frame and I could print this picture and I could be happy just putting that up in my house. Yeah. There were so many moments, like literally Every scene had a moment like that where everybody and I think it's it's, it kind of does what I love in many like ensemble uh, ensemble movies, period piece movies where the framing's good. But then the um, what would you call it when you place actors? The blocking, the blocking, the blocking of the characters is so good as well. So it's like every single time you have an ensemble piece, um, the blocking is really important. There is a lot of foreshadowing that happens in the film if you like care to really look for it. Um, 
there's, <laughs> in general, I just love the fact that the early 2000s is now this has made it a period piece movie in a way <laughs> like it's so funny to see that because it's like oh that was just like 20 years ago almost let me you tell know? you when an elderly british man performed apple bottom jeans i wanted to just walk into the street <laughs> <laughs> at karaoke Oof. oh no yeah so it, it's like and it's so funny because it's like you can, you you know, the, the costume design, like there's so many pieces of like these characters that are so like rich and yet they're yeah. still tacky. Yeah. You know, like yeah. they, they, they still are falling into that, the, 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 the well of tackiness of that era, you know, yeah. and it makes them very interestingly relatable in that way. Um, it's kind of the only like... I way that you can kind Sorry, of touch ahead. them is like to be like, Oh, you, you also were not wearing the great things either. <laughs> you know, I, I have a friend who is a costume designer in film and, mm -hmm. uh, Saltburn is one of her favorite films of the year. And she's talked about how she would have fucking loved to have worked on Saltburn. Yeah. And she says that she thinks the costume design of Saltburn is absolutely top notch. Yeah. The, the, the wings that he has like at the end is just, it's so gaudy and yet it's like just so perfect for it. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so many things that like, they're kind of directly pulled from literary uh, fiction, from Gothic fiction um, that, that end up in this movie. There's little details that I've heard Emerald Fennel talk about that really just add to like the character depth in this movie. The, I think the thing is, is that, Saltburn does what I love movies to do is the attention to detail and characterization and also the personification of the locations, you know, yeah. in the way that the house kind of lives and breathes as its own thing. And also, I think that the aspect ratio of the movie really adds to that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I mean... I'm not really sure that it really had anything to say, but that doesn't bother me. I think like I read lots of people's it, reviews about like, da -da -da -da, like I, I think it doesn't I, like what it <clears> says <throat> about class. And I was like, did it say something about class? Because I thought, you know, in the way that like I've heard a couple of things of Emerald Fennel, like Oliver's character, he from the area of England that he's from, like he would have been considered technically like, upper middle class for that area. Yeah. And that's fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. nuts. Yeah. Like, so, so for, for specifically for that area of England, he would have been considered upper middle class and he would have been like, you know, rich for that area, you know, but then like he comes into fucking Oxford and you know, the, the elite class over there, it's a whole nother fucking ball game, but it's a ball game that you can't, ever break into because you're just not born yeah. into it yeah you know yeah and so it's just i think it's like oh sorry it's, i was thinking about felix i thought you were saying felix upper middle class and i was like that's the fucking craziest thing in the world oh no 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 and um yeah so i'm not really sure that it says something about class necessarily because in a way oliver isn't really oppressed in any way no <laughs> you know it's just that yeah. he has this obsession with felix and this life that he can never be in because he's just not born into that and i think that says something about class 
I think it he's says just, something about class, but I, I don't know that it's like specifically trying to say something about class. I just think that that I don't know. OK, Mick, go on. You, you I, have something well, to say. I don't, uh, maybe I'm just not sophisticated enough, but I, I kind of agree with you, Alexis, in the sense that maybe it's not commenting on class. It's just, to me, he's just a fucking creep. You know, like, honestly, I would put Saltburn and The Lighthouse in the same conversation of like, look, I'm not exactly sure what this film is saying. All I know is it's a fucking roller coaster and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what Saltburn is to me. And And also, one other thing I'll add really quickly, Alexis, I don't mean to do a retroactive dig at you. Okay. But But it is no secret that... What? I'm going to power right through it. It's no secret that I did not enjoy Do Revenge. Yeah. From last year's thing. And, yeah. you, and you said that, like, this is just a movie for the girlies, which yeah. that's, that's fine. But to me, Saltburn. Yeah. This is this, yeah. this is a, this is the yeah. movie for the girlies. Because yeah. like, if you go onto, like, Insta Reels and, like, TikTok and shit. First of all. Like, you see, like, women, like, our age showing salt burn to their moms Mm -hmm. for like reactions and shit. And it's the most, it's the most hilarious thing ever. Um, I think I, uh, I just think it captures like the, just fucking wackiness. I don't know. I I think it's great. I don't think it's a retroactive dig at all. Like I fully embody that, the bullshit that I have ever spewed about do revenge. And it definitely fucking applies to this. I own that shit. (laughs) I still fucking do. I don't care. Um, fucking love Saltburn, and and you are right. It is for the girlies because as soon as that fucking movie hit, that shit has been flooding TikTok. Like people, yeah. people have been goo goo gaga, fucking over like the fucking the the bathtub, the you know the you know just eating that shit up, um, like the 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 blood scene, you know the grave scene, you know. There's just there's so many moments of just like you know. Whatever your fucking flavor is, they've got it in the movie. Yeah. You know? And, um, God, there's, there, there's, I could probably talk about this movie for like forever, but, um, I don't know. There's just, there was just something about it that was so I, seductive. I think it, the movie seduced me. <laughs> I think, I think, I think I just yeah. love sick little freaks. And I think yeah. that Barry Keegan's he's, all of He's our, one of our greatest, I, just in general yeah, as an actor. I just, I mean, like, yeah, sure. I loved Felix, but, and I, and I, but did I fucking love the downfall of that family? Like, did they necessarily do anything wrong other than be really fucking rich and awful? That's all it fucking needs. Yeah, that's, that's all, that's all need. I fucking needed. I was like, you know what? Yeah. Actually, do I really fucking care if they die? Probably not. Do I really love the way that they are dying? Yeah, this is highly entertaining. Like, the moment that he fucking pulls the breathing tube out of fucking Rosamund yeah. Pike. Oh, oh my god. god. Like, this the, movie... The fact that... This movie is sinister. The, this is a sinister fucking of, film. The ending of Saltburn won me to its decent... Uh, it, it kept it out of, uh, you know... I'm I'm fully out on I'm I'm fully yucking your guys's yum. I'm not yeah. fully yucking Saltburn. You know, and also you like like you said, Mick Rosamund Pike, and you said Rosamund Pike. Fucking, she, I'm so, so happy, so fucking good. I'm so happy she got to do something different because I feel like yes. she's kind of been in yeah. like because she's so good in Gone Girl. Yeah, like towering performance. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy because it's like. I the first time I ever saw her was in Pride and Prejudice in 2005 and that seems yeah. like I, that's almost 20 years ago. 
it's 18 years ago that that movie came out and the first time I ever saw her and she just plays the most the sweetest sister and just like so maternal and then you know of course I've seen her in Gone Girl but then I saw her in this and I was like my God, talk about chewing the scenery. Yep. You know, like that, yeah. the one line that she had that me and my sister both laughed right out loud was, you know, she just loves attention <laughs> after her friend commits suicide. Yeah. <laughs> that shit had me rolling. Yeah. Another good Carrie Mulligan funny. performance as well. Oh yeah. So good. Yeah. No, the, the family dynamics were so entertaining. Oh, and I, so fucking entertaining. I also love that, um, Archie's, um, wig, the guy who plays, um, What's his name? The cousin. Yeah. Um. Uh, hold on. Uh, the, 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 the. Beep, beep, beep. What was it? Uh, oh, God. Dead Far- air. Farley. Shit. Farley. 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 His hair was based on Corbin Blue's hair <laughs> from High School Musical. That's funny. Do you remember him? The guy with the... the f- <laughs> that's really... Yeah, yeah. Of course I remember Corbin Blue from High School Musical. That's okay. Yeah. And that, like, literally, that's the, they were like, that's what we want. That's the hair that's that we want. That's fucking really funny. And, and, and yeah. but it's like, there's so many details in this movie where it's just like, oh, this is, it, it is of this time. And to maybe to us, you know, of being of a certain age, it's kind of crazy. Shut up, Zach. Don't give me that look. You are also coming to a certain age. Mm. <laughs> An age of being young and sprightly. <laughs> I'm still young and sprightly. Okay. <laughs> That's why you invited me to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just, it, it, it basically is a period piece movie in the way that I never expected a period piece movie to be in the early 2000s. And yet here, here it we is. Are. And I fucking love it. And it's despicable and it's fucking horny. And that's really all that I fucking need, to be honest. <laughs> all right, Mick. Your number three, please. Number three, past lives. Nora and Hoisung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are rest apart after Nora's family immigrates from South Korea to the United States. Decades later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront destiny, love, and the choices that make a life. And this will Um, also be coming up later. Yeah, me too. Well, not for me, but for you. Yeah. For me, Z's. Say, say it again. Uh, Alexis, it'll come up later on Alexis's list. Oh, Past Lives? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but yes, this is uh, directed by Celine Song. This is a, a directorial debut. It's crazy. Um, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, this movie, uh, I since it's appearing later, I'll keep it uh, somewhat brief. Um really just blew me away in terms of it is not like something I've seen in a while. It's just, it's just a fucking beautiful, sophisticated, and in some ways unsatisfying love story, which is basically how so many love stories really are. Yeah. Um, and also I've, I, I'm this made this movie made me really tap into the nostalgia of classic, love stories set in Manhattan. Uh, You get When Harry Met Sally. You have Manhattan. You have um, Annie Hall. You have so many beautiful classic masterpieces about love and and, and losing someone or just struggling to maintain a relationship all set amongst the backdrop of Manhattan to the point of which it's almost its own character. And seeing it, it, we just haven't really done anything like that in a while. And what I loved about this movie was just the long, really wide shots of them having adult 
conversation about their experiences and their emotions and their memories with the Brooklyn Bridge in the background, with the Empire State Building in the background. And it just felt so, uh, it just felt so mature. It's just, I absolutely loved it. Um, it's it's more or less, you know, a simple story. It's not some big grand epic adventure in any way. But the reason it's so high in my list is it, it just, everything about it I dug. It was just such a wonderful experience. And where the uh, the character of Arthur, played by John Magaro, really, really good. Oh, yeah, he was where phenomenal. He, he was so great. And he talks about how, you know, you dream in a language that I'll never understand. So he will always be this outsider to her, no matter how compatible that they are. Uh, they will never completely have that that synchronicity that they that, that we always try to strive for, that we fantasize about and having in our loves, in our lives. And that scene at the bar where the three of them unite. And she is having a very deep conversation with him in Korean. And he's just sitting there, John Magaro, and he's kind of smiling and reacting. And it's the most uncomfortable, awkward thing that I think I've, <laughs> I've ever experienced. And I just thought it was just so, so well done. And I like that the char- that the actors themselves have said that it's a disservice to call this a love triangle because it isn't. It's not a love triangle at all. It's it's just it's people kind of just exploring uh, what could have been, what would have been, but also just kind of reconnecting with their home, with their own country, kind of man manifested in this man. Um, yeah, I just I think Past Lives is damn near a masterpiece, and and the fact that it's done by this woman who has never directed a movie before, a feature film at least fucking hats off yeah absolutely like that's that is a standing ovation um so that's what i'll say about past lives for now mr wick mr wick i think i saw john wick chapter four three times at theaters um (laughs) this is your hunger games (laughs) it, it is uh i was kind of shocked how long it hung out at my number one of the year spot. <laughs> it was through most of 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just have not had this much fucking fun at a movie, at, at an action movie in a long time. And like the fact that this and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 both have like action often chase sequences set in Paris. Um, or no, no, this, uh, this Dead Reckoning Part 1 take place in Paris at all? Or no, I'm thinking of Fallout. Yes. When does, when does it show up in Paris? Because there's the Venice chase. Oh, no, no, we're Venice. thinking of Rome. Yeah, Rome. Most of it takes yeah, place Rome in Rome. Rome and then Venice. But the fact that they both have, like, these incredible chase sequences, and I thought that John Wick Chapter 4 came out on top, really just speaks to how this series has continued to elevate itself and seize the opportunities uh, to make a film at a little bit of a higher budget. We talked a little bit last year about how Benoit Blanc is kind of like one of our first like iconic original characters of like a series that grew into a franchise Mm -hmm. of the 21st century. Uh, 
And John Wick, I would say, is the other one. Because when Mick and I saw this on its opening weekend in IMAX, and you meet John Wick in the opening, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne's Bowery King asks him something, and then he turns to camera and just goes, Yeah. My yeah. audience went fucking bananas. They went crazy. <laughs> yeah. They were was, so happy. People went crazy. They were like, be seeing you, John. And wow. they did. They were so happy to see John. I was so happy to see yeah. John. This has a fucking great Bill Skarsgård performance. Dude keeps killing it. Yes. Um, Donnie motherfucking Yen shows up. Hiroyuki Sanada shows up. Oh, love him. Uh, the sequence with, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Scott Atkins as Keela, Keela by name, Keela by nature, fucking caked in a fat suit. Uh, wow. Just fighting like I've never seen. Uh, just phenomenal. Like, this just had so many moments that had me fucking hooting and hollering in a theater. Uh, the entire third act is just like pinnacle action filmmaking kicked off by a reference to the warriors which is a phenomenal fucking film i just it makes me so happy that chad stahelski and keanu reeves have been able to keep doing these uh there's been some like whispers about a john wick chapter five i hope they don't make it i think this is the perfect way to close out this series uh I don't think I realized how much I love the John Wick films until I saw this one. It's just, it's a complete meal. Uh, Again, another movie that's almost three hours does not feel its length remotely. Uh, I love this movie. I love it so much. It looks great. It whips. It kicks ass. Uh, Fucking John Wick. He's my boy. He's the Baba Yaga. He's one of my very best friends. I love it. Nice. Mick, you're number um, two. I would I, I would respond to John Wick Chapter 4, but I won't <laughs> until we talk about what our second favorite movie of the well, year is. Well, please, go ahead, buddy. <laughs> we're oh we're here. Starting? Yeah, here you're we, starting, here, bud. Here, here we are. Well, uh, spoiler alert, my second favorite movie of the year is John Wick Chapter 4. Spoiler um, alert, as he says Leave it at that. Uh, keep it going. Uh, I don't think you technically were starting, but whatever. It, it was relevant. Uh, yeah. oh. Alexis, you are starting, please. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is The Iron Claw, directed by Sean Durkin. Fuck yeah. Okay, see, this is the part of the oh, episode nice. where things speed up a little bit, because yeah. we've talked. My number two is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes. Uh, Alexis, oh, please, you, wow. you kick us off. You're, you're first. Um, okay, so like you both have read in my review, this, me- this movie met- left me messy and unfuckable. Um, but it didn't just stop there, okay? I got into my car, continued to cry, and went home, f- was like, fine, And then talk to my mom about, you know, oh, yeah, really good movie. You definitely don't want to see it. But since you're not going to see it, let me explain to you what was so emotionally volatile of the ending. And as I started describing it to her, I started sobbing again. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I talked to Sloan a little bit about this movie. I didn't spoil anything because she hasn't seen it yet. But like as I was talking, I was like, I'm feeling I'm feeling the tears welling up and I'm fighting them down. No. Yeah. So 
spoiler. Oh, fuck, I don't probably want shouldn't to. spoil it because Nick hasn't seen it. But okay, yeah. So here's the thing. It's a really good ensemble. I think that's my main takeaway is what a really, really incredible ensemble. I really love what they did with the story. It's not completely factually correct because there is, in fact, another Von Erich brother who is not included in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I heard about this. Um, I kind of get why they didn't wow. include him. Yeah, I mean, like, time length wise, I think that it really hit, like, all the emotional points that it really needed to um, without including that. Um, I think that, yeah, it's a really good portrayal of... Um, toxic masculinity and i think that that's why towards the end one of the things that zach efron says with his children um just hits so hard and their response to him as a father is just so moving brutalized yeah and and just the whole one of my favorite moments Mick, you know that this is like there's tragedy in this so you know that's not really a surprise right but one of my favorite moments is towards, I would say, the, the first, the end of the first third of the movie before we move into, you know, the suffering of it is the um, marriage, the dance that the, yeah. that Lily, Lily James and the four brothers do together where you have the camera panning, um, moving right to left. And so you see, uh, I think it's. Lily James first or Zac Efron first and you keep going and it's each of the brothers um, as they're dancing but you're just seeing like their face but it's the last time that you'll see all of them together and so it is a very in, and I knew that too when I was watching it like I really recognized like how much care and attention they were taking to show all five of them together um, and <laughs> And it was just like, it was all downhill from there. Yeah. Um, it's fucking shattering. Yeah. And like you said, the costumes were so good. The choreography for the wrestling oh my was God, yeah. incredible. Um, wow. Zach Efron, Jesus Christ. Fucking, fucking <laughs> just, looks. Just looking out. Looking like a guy who fucking medieval peasants would throw fruit at. He's so big. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, I love Harris Dickinson's character. Um, well, I guess the, the brother. <laughs> Mick, you like that? You like that? You enjoy that? Fuck, dude. Uh, I've been trying to think. I'm like, what does Zac Efron look like? And that fucking nails it. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's funny. There, my lord. There, there's, um, there's quite a lot of moments that, you know, in comedy, we would call them a callback. Um, but... You know, what do you call them when they're the emotional moments where Lily James and him have their first date? And she I love this moment because she's like, he's like, oh, so like, what are you what are you about? Basically? And she's like, oh, um, so basically, like, I want to I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to be a vet and I want to have my own practice and I want a man that's OK with that. Yeah. And she was like, so how does that sound to you? <laughs> you know? And, yeah. And I'm like, yes, girl, you fucking, you go for that shit. And he's like, oh, that sounds pretty good to me. And she asked him, like, what do you want? And his response is, I just want to, I just want to be, be with, with my, my family. I just yeah, want to be, be with, with my, my brothers. brothers. And, and she's like, oh, so like, you know, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I don't know. It's just, it's just nice to be together. Um, and so he wants to have a ranch where, you know, they all live together, you know, with them and their kids and, you know, and, 
And so that's why I say, you know, like at the end of the movie, there's this moment where you're just like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's some piece of that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I will say that the, towards the, you know, the, the last part of the movie, the part with one of the brothers in the lake, just that, that was the moment that it all was over for me. <laughs> like cooked, I done cooked, done, turned over. It's game and over, man. It's burnt, game over. Fucking pickled in a jar. <laughs> like, like I was not okay. Like from that moment on, I was just a weepy, sobby mess, and it just didn't stop for like until in, like honestly an hour after the movie finished. <laughs> like so I I just I loved it. Oh, the music. Dude, when Tom Sawyer fucking yeah. came on, I was all, it's fucking over, yes. guys. Okay. I fucking I love loved Tom that Sawyer. bit in the trailer. I was hoping it was in the movie. Yes, it's so fucking that was, that was the actual music that the Von Erics would walk out to. Yeah. Uh, and I love really? that. Yeah. And I love oh. that it's, uh, you know, in the movie, Chef's they have kiss. it as like Mike's choice, yeah. you know? Because, and it's just, the song is so fucking iconic. I remember when I was in Las Vegas to see Beyonce earlier this year, that song started fucking playing in the lobby of the Luxor. And I was like, this song is fucking incredible in Roommate. And then he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, I know wow. you don't, but you just don't know how good this song is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, yeah, the mu- uh, music supervision, great job. Um, yeah, uh, overall, and I mean, the, the movie looks great. The hair is good. Um I don't know. Like, there's just so many good things that I can say about it. It's the total package. It's the total, yeah. Mick Monkey. Fuck yeah. Mr. Wick. Uh, well, yeah. I, well, I got I can't wait to fucking watch Iron Claw. I, that's, you guys have got me so that's jazzed That's like the for one that. thing um, I keep telling yes. people to see. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4. Zach, I think you already read the synopsis, so I won't go into uh, it. No, um, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I, di- I didn't read the synopsis. Uh, Oh, oh, I didn't read okay. the synopsis well, I'll do that, for Iron Claw either. So, John Wick, Chapter 4. With the price uh, on his head ever-increasing legendary hitman, John Wick takes his fight against the high table global as he seeks out the most powerful players in the underworld from New York to Paris to Japan to Berlin. Um, Zach, everything you said, I agree with. I think if, if I had to rank my favorite movie theater experience of the entire year, it would definitely be seeing John Wick Chapter 4 on opening night. Um, the theater was packed. It was electrifying. The crowd applauded and cheered in all the right moments. It, it's just one of those things where you see it, you, it's like a community with the audience, and it's absolutely wonderful. Um, chapter 4 is one of those rare occurrences where a new film comes out and it is a action masterpiece. I mean, this is this is to be played with, I think, some of the best. This is up there with Mission Impossible Fallout. This is up there with Mad Max Fury Road. It's up there with Drunken Master. It's just a movie that doesn't need superfluous excuses to have a fight. It's just fighting. And yet it's all tied together with a plot and storyline that I completely am bought into at every step of the way through the world building that has been done. All of the heavy lifting through the previous three films, 
you get immense payoff with this. And I actually, I recently watched a video with a stunt coordinator talking, who wasn't involved with the John Wick films, but he was talking about how John Wick Chapter 4 does stunts so well because, um, as Zach mentioned, it has Donnie Yen, Scott Atkins, and Hiroyuki Sanada, who are three great actors, but three great kung fu martial artists. And the film does this great job of when those actors are involved with a fight scene, the fight scene is sort of tailor-made to fit their fighting style, to make them look and be the best that they are. Um, and it kind of actually goes with Iron Claw in terms of a good wrestling show. It's all about putting on the most fantastic show, and they use the talent on screen so so well. I mean, the cast of characters that are in this as well. You have you have Lawrence Fishburne. You have Lance Reddick. Rest may he rest peace. in peace. Bill Skarsgård. You have uh, you also have one of my favorite uh, that guys, which is Clancy Brown. Yeah, motherfucking who Clancy Brown. Mr. Krabs. <laughs> He's Mr. great Krabs. in this. Uh, also, uh, Shamir Anderson uh, as the tracker. Yes. Yes, Shamir Anderson. That's right. He's a fucking badass. Yeah. And if you recall, the one thing I was like, you know what could have made this better is if it was with uh, the guy that recently got busted for sexual assault oh, or, 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 or sexual abuse. Sexual abuse. Yeah. I forget his uh, name. Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors. Real shame. Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah. The overhead fight scene with the shotgun and dragon's breath. Remain, is burnt into my memory to the same degree of burning that happened to those poor goons. <laughs> that see, it, it's just it's it's poetry. I mean, it's like it, it is gun fu. I mean, it is absolute beauty. And, and Donnie Yen does his thing. That whole fight scene on the stairwell is fantastic. Bill Skarsgård looks fantastic. He's such a great bastard. costumes in this movie as um, well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely incredible. So John Wick Chapter 4, um, you know, it's I know it's it's not a, you know, beautifully well-written art film or anything like that, but I cannot deny that it was my favorite theater experience of the year and definitely as my number two. Much like John Wick. Keanu Reeves, man. He's so good. Hell. What a legend. Uh, He's yeah. a fucking legend. Much like John Wick, it just gets the fucking job done. Um, Gets the job done. I, I won't talk too long about Killers of the Flower Moon because I feel like you hit a lot of the points that I like about it. Um, the one thing I'll say is much like May, December, it does a good job kind of interrogating why we're interested in true crime stories as well as the limitations yeah. of the genre and the limitations of telling this story as uh, an outsider. Um, Martin Scorsese's cameo at the end of the film is just like yeah let's talk about the ending such, for sure such an acknowledgement the scene where they're on this true crime radio show and kind of retelling the story of the Osage in this very kind of tacky uh, you know way that has no real depth to it uh, and yeah. no real inner perspective and then Scorsese comes out and delivers this final monologue about what happened to Molly uh, 
and then we cut to a scene yeah. of the actual Osage, Osage tribe today. With the camera coming up. Yeah. And uh, seeing them. On the, it's amazing. fucking floored me. Um, and uh, the other thing that I will say is, I mean, of course, yeah, Andy, don't forget the Jack White cameo. Dude. I was about to say, well, well, yeah, one Jack White showing up <laughs> is fucking crazy. Jack White, man. <laughs> That's a fucking insane <laughs> moment. Uh, but... The, the other people showing up, I will say it is a fucking testament to Scorsese's just fucking heat as a director that he drops Brendan Fraser and John Lithgow in like the last yeah. 40 of a three hour and 20 minute movie. <laughs> For me, this also really did not feel its length. And I was shocked by that. I think it's a beautiful film. I mean, it is a masterwork from a master filmmaker. Uh much as we were talking about getting a new Cronenberg movie last year, I am so grateful that we can still get a new Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. He is looking back on themes that he's dealt with in the past with a new perspective and a new critical eye. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's it's a heartbreaking movie. I was just moved. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a masterwork. Uh, really, really loved it. I also have to give a quick shout out. This is kind of weird and random, but uh, I'm not a country music fan at all. But there is one current country music artist that I really enjoy called Sturgill Simpson because he kind of combines Motown and country. And this was a great fucking year for him because he is in Killers of the Flower Moon and The Creator. So he was in two of my top oh, 10 wow. of the year films. So fucking shout out to him. Nice. Yeah. All right. Who's starting? Is it is it time? It's time. Uh, it's time. It is time. All right. Well, I'll I'll start us out. Uh, my number one of the year, to none of your surprise, <coughs> is Justine Treat's Anatomy of a Fall. Alexis. Hell yeah. My number one movie, to the surprise of no one, is Celine Song's Past Lives. Nice. <laughs> And my number one, to probably no one's surprise, <laughs> is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll make my uh, thoughts on Anatomy of a Fall brief. Uh, again, I've said it's hard for a movie to uh, move me to tears. Anatomy of a Fall did the the predicament of um, Milo Machado Grainer's uh, Daniel towards the end. Yeah. The, the way that the court case does become this interrogation of his parents' marriage and their problems and if they really loved each other uh, and him essentially like a, you know, a child of a messy divorce having to choose which parent he's going to go with in the third act. Uh, I just found so moving. Uh, Mick, you talked about the holdovers being a movie that you felt like you knew the characters and you felt like these characters were real people. That's absolutely yeah. how I felt about anatomy of a fall. Sandra Huller. It's just like, it's a powerhouse performance. I, I read yeah. that Justine treat never told Sandra Huller if she was guilty or not. And that's great. I think that that really pays off in the performance because for me, I like I know emotionally what I think happened, but the movie does not give us a definitive 
answer. It lets you live in that ambiguity and that doubt and just makes you read people. Yeah. Makes you read your perspective on how people are interacting with each other in the world. And I, I just found that so effective. I was just on the edge of my seat for this entire movie. Much like Oppenheimer, another movie that is largely people talking in rooms that I was just fucking glued to. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is a movie that uses blocking incredibly well to communicate uh, character dynamics and to kind of warp our perceptions of the characters. Um, I just... Yeah, I think that this this movie has an incredible script, but it it also like I feel like oftentimes when I think about the great directing work of a year, I think about really technical feats, movies that have great performances, but you know, something like Oppenheimer that, you know, has no CGI shots and is depicting like a microscopic physics uh, phenomena or the explosion of a nuclear bomb. Um, but I think that a great director gets great performances out of their actors. And this is a movie that every performance is just so perfectly calibrated. Uh, I love this movie. I'm definitely going to watch it again. I think it's riveting. Um, yeah, I, w I really wish I had seen it in theaters because I think I wouldn't have had that issue of like falling asleep at like the 30 minute mark. Because I mean, it is. I saw it in theaters, Alexis, and I did fall asleep. Wow. I cannot imagine falling asleep in I don't, this movie. I don't think I would have. And I, and I had if barely I had slept. I had barely slept. I had slept, slept for. Down. I had slept for two yeah. hours the night before this movie. And I was fucking electrified it, it was my fault i i got home at 10 i oh, watched no, a movie for and sure then, i'm talking then, more about i was laying down and yeah. i fell asleep that way <clears throat> i i will say though i saw this at this new like offshoot amc mm -hmm. at burbank that has like weirdly comfortable seats full recline is it the one that's like the small theaters yes that's where i saw it as well really yep. man that should put yeah i was like this is the most this is like more comfortable than uh, my bed yeah i i really loved i i i really loved the movie i just i couldn't i never could tell to me personally i felt i felt as muddled as the movie i think intends for you to feel in that i really don't truly know whether or not she did it i i personally don't you know because to me the things that they explored in the relationship really made me think, um, what really do we, do we ever know to be true about our partners and to be true about other people's relationships when we do not experience them? It's like gone girl in that way a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of, and I, and I especially love that the, the young boys predicament at the end is what are you going to choose to be true? Yeah. And, and that's, right. a, that's a whole nother nuance to truth is that sometimes truth is just what we choose it to be. Um, it's not really black and white, you know, it's just what reality can you live with? Yeah. Yeah. There is certain, sometimes you will come to a point in your life where you have to decide a narrative. Yeah. Um, 
And I will say, again, this is a movie that I didn't love, but I did enjoy. Um, again, I, my opinions on it, the acting is superb. It's a beautiful film. Such a great script. I just kind of felt I was convinced of her innocence. I don't think she did it. Um, and part of my and this is more of a personal problem is I thought the husband was kind of pathetic. So had she killed him? No harm done. <laughs> so, LOL. That's kind of my take. So I, that's why hot my takes get your hot takes. Part of, yeah, I, part I of my problem of him. like the whole did she or didn't she? I'm kind of like, well, I don't think she did, but had she, you know, it's interesting. Water under the I like. I, I get that perspective to a degree, but I I really empathized with him. His predicament of you know I'm not even speaking my own language in my home like that that was like a kind of brutal line like i i don't know i just i found yeah, it I, so psychologically complex i also really understood when she was like by me moving here is that not also meeting you halfway yeah, exactly exactly and yeah. and and the thing is is that i did empathize with him because i can only imagine how i would feel like if I had picked up my nephew late and something had happened to him, like, I don't think I would ever overcome that. Yeah. You know, like, and right. I think as a parent, I don't think that that's really, I don't know that that guilt is something that you really can necessarily overcome. And the fact that that, even if he it doesn't allow himself to see that guilt as something that he's not overcoming, it becomes intrinsically wrapped up in his inability to write and his uh, insatiable need to kind of procrastinate in a way to create a monster of his own making in the way that she says that he is. And I truly believe like the things that she says to him, that those are true, that this is, these are all things that you've created, these problems that you've created for yourself to, to get in the way of your own writing because like you're scared. And I think that that guilt that he has over the accident is just so intrinsically tied up that like the movie, everything's just so muddled for him the way that it is muddled for us to see the truth of what the situation is in his own mind and in the movie. So. Yeah, yeah, it's for me, it's just it's the perfect marriage of a really <laughs> spectacular <laughs> marital drama and mm -hmm. like a Hitchcock movie and kind of and mm. a legal thriller. Somebody said, um, marriage story wishes that, <laughs> <laughs> that it was this and you know i fucking loved marriage story you know my man's adam driver um but like i read that and i was like ah ha ha yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fair because the nuance of because i i think even still in like marriage story like the they they still vilify the mother in a way you know, and and I think that in this movie, I can see a more rounded picture of who really can be at fault in it's a what, marriage. It's that's what you get. It's what you get when the movie's directed by yeah. a woman. I was, Crazy. I was incredibly proud of her character, the way she stood up for herself in court with some like truly some bullshit questioning the fucking uh, um, therapist fucking hated that guy yeah kick him in the head he's like yeah. he's like oh yeah like i th these are subjective truths but i'm gonna speak as if this is absolutely an objective truth what the fuck yeah 
So she she was a fantastic lead character. Like that, you take the actress out of it, but just the character mm-hmm. herself was uh, uh, really superb. So that I will say with Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, Zach, I don't know when you plan on rewatching it, but I I would like to return to it to see if maybe I can see it in like a a, a new light. Um, Because, again, it's a movie I liked, didn't love, but I would like to revisit it just to see if maybe I can see it differently. Whenever you want it, man. Whenever you want it. Who wants to go Um, next? Alexis, do you want to talk about... I I didn't know you actually had seen this movie, so I'm curious to see what, uh, what you think about it. Oh, yeah, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Um, oh, okay. Back in, what was that, July? I think it was, it was earlier June, than that. Yeah, June or July. June I think. or July. Yeah, because it was before the Barbenheimer. Yeah, it so. was. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like this movie really kind of kicked off my summer in a, in a lot of ways. Like, it was kind of the first movie that I was like, that kind of reinvigorated we're back to the cinema. Yeah. The movie, the movies are back. The movies are back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, people are like Barbenheimer, you know, but I feel like past, past lives for me was that moment mm-hmm. of like, I think I'm, I'm back in it, you know, like, I think I was having a really hard time focusing on new releases up until I saw this film. Um, and like you said, it's just like so fucking impressive that this is her, uh, feature directorial debut. Um, because there's a lot of, precision and nuance in the script and the way that it's shot. And I do see a lot of the kind of like to Annie Hall isms of it. I do see a lot of that. And I, and I really do appreciate that. I think that was one of the things I loved the most about Annie Hall was all those like long shots, you know, where it's like, you're really just sitting in the conversation with the characters as if you're following along with them. Um, And, and you're right. It is mature in the way that, I think that there's a lot of ways that we are naive about love, you know, and the way that we can believe that there's just this one person that's just going to be perfect for us and that we can just like, that's it. And it's all going to like fall into place or something, you know, and we can hold on too tight to that idea and we can hold on too tight to our identities or where we come from. And I think it was just really heartbreaking. Like the first time that they like, obviously the first time they say goodbye, but then the second time when they like rekindle and then they're on like zoom and stuff. And then she's like, I kind of need to go on with my life and I kind of can't keep tethering myself to a life that I've moved on from. And he kind of can't move on, you know, but then she ends up finding somebody that she loves. And I really love my main takeaway from the movie was that sometimes it's not about the fantasy of love that we believe could be true. It's about the love that we have and the love that we choose. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that and mature about the idea that sometimes love is just what we choose and what we can be happy with, you know, with somebody who's good with for good, good with us, you know, and to us. But I, and, and I think that that's another part where it's like, I like that they, he mentions that, you know, when you dream, you speak Korean and that that's a part of her life that he's never going to be able to quite touch and that, um, and that that's okay. You know, that, that it's okay for, 
people in relationships to have some part of themselves that is just them is just for them, you know, and that we don't need to, um, to break down that wall to try to get at it, you know, that sometimes it's okay to, to keep those little parts of ourselves that, that we're just, we're just us before, you know, you met that person, you know? And, um, and I think that it was such a beautiful closure at the end, uh, uh, for her and that guy to say goodbye because it was also her saying, finally shutting the door on the, the life that she lived in Korea, you know, in her, in her home country before she even came to Canada or America. You yeah. Know? Her, her statement that, uh, she left her self with him, her Korean self with yeah. him. That's, you know what I like about our top picks of the year for all of us? We all picked some fucking grown up ass movies. <laughs> these are, yeah. these are, uh, as Russell Crowe would say, Films for adults, adults. Uh, <laughs> and in in very different ways. Uh, yeah, I again, uh, it's like a toss up for me still whether you know May December or Past Lives should take my number ten spot. I had to go with my gut. Yeah, but I I fucking loved Past Lives. I yeah. really really phenomenal film. I think it's one that I'm definitely going to like come back to just to sit with the characters again and just to hear them have those revelations again like i and it's so i always love those movies where it's like it's it, there's nothing really like you know like oppenheimer's like crazy you know there's so much going on you know there's so much to to take in and see and past lives is so quiet and um and yeah. and, and, and and slow in a way but like the, because the emotional core of it is so true you know, you, you don't get tired of it, you know? Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I like what you're saying about, you know, she has a part of herself that he, the, the, the American boyfriend can never, can never touch, but the importance of still having the singular independent self does not negate that she's not truly sharing herself in the relationship mm -hmm. like that. Those kinds of boundaries aren't, they're not a fault yeah. of it. In a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's a beautiful feature of it. And <clears throat> God, I love the end where he's waiting. Uh, uh, he's waiting for the Uber outside and they're sitting on the steps of the brownstone and she walks back and the camera comes over and you see that he's actually out there. That was just, Oh my gosh, that was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, past lives with past lives of grown up ass movie. It yeah. really is because like look at that. That's a grown up ass relationship where somebody can be uh fully secure. It, maybe not yeah. completely fully secure because I think he does have like some moments where he's like, "Should I be worried? This man's a very good looking Korean man." Of you know, yeah. like so exactly. It's only natural. Yeah, and, but you know, and he never lets that bleed out in a way that's makes her feel yes. guilty exactly like exactly only, he's never toxic about he, it yeah. he couches it in in a joke yeah uh, yeah and yeah and, and i think that that's like the i think i think in a way that's kind of what i was saying about some other movie is that that's that's what you want is oh about the iron claw Oh yeah, is just you. You just you want that type of relationship where somebody can just be secure in themselves enough to where they can 
you know, you're, you're both supporting each other. And even when things like this come up, you know, it doesn't detract from the relationship that you have with each other, you know? Yeah. <sighs> mm. Great pick. Fucking hell. Um, I guess I'll finish it out with, uh, you guys already talked about it. Oppenheimer, um, during World War II, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves Jr. appoints physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer to work on the top-secret Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer and a team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb. Their work comes to fruition on uh, July 16, 1945, as they witness the world's first nuclear explosion, forever changing the course of history. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, there's not much more to add to it other than uh, I am superbly happy that this film was made and that it got the success that it deserves. Um, I know a lot of times people will compare Christopher Nolan to Stanley Kubrick. And I think Oppenheimer perhaps is the best example yet of that, of Christopher Nolan taking uh, a, a studio and the studio just going all the way with them yeah. in terms of I want all of this, like, I need all of these actors, like a truly big ensemble that typically only people like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese would get. Mm. But simply just by virtue of who that artist is, Christopher Nolan, people want to work with him. Also, like Kubrick, he pushes the envelope with the actual making of the film. They, uh, uh, um, they went to IMAX and said that we want to shoot on black and white, and but we don't want to convert it in post. We want to shoot on black and white film. And IMAX said, well, we don't we don't make black and white IMAX film. Yeah. And so they kind of went. <clears throat> now, now, so you IMAX now, like, now okay, you great. fucking do. Now you fucking do. <laughs> yeah, now you do. So IMAX. IMAX call me Barry. Me call like, me oh. Barry Keegan because I'm whipping it out. Yeah, uh, Van Hoytman and Christopher Nolan uh, got for the first time black and white IMAX film that they made just for, and they had to make special cameras to use it. They and all of the effects of seeing uh, uh, atoms splitting apart uh, at a metaphysical level are all done practically within camera tricks. I mean, it's just it, it's an absolute yeah. feast for the eyes. And and, the, and if you do appreciate film like us three nerds are and do, uh, when you learn that a movie will go to that length yeah. to the point that most people wouldn't even notice, it, it, it just makes it all the more rich an experience. Oppenheimer truly felt like and it is adapted from a book, but it truly felt like a book. It's so dense. You, you just keep turning the pages. And I agree with you. It's a. It's on the money, a three-hour film, and it does not feel it. And it is just, it's a procedural drama. Um, as I said before in my review, it reminds me a lot of uh, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, where you have this great actor heading this massive ensemble of some of the best actors working today in this big historical biopic. Um, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. I love the politics of it. Yeah. Of it, it, At never point, does it really make him a hero? It's actually, he's such a complex, sophisticated person where it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how Killian Murphy played him, but he did a fucking great job. Yeah. But it, it's absolutely amazing. That speech that he gives 
after the bomb has been successful and they've bombed the Japanese and he's talking about how, you know, my only regret is that we didn't use it on the Germans and the crowd goes nuts and the, and the sound cuts out. The sound design yeah. is insane. Yeah. And the background starts shaking and then you, you see a flash and you hear a scream. And I remember watching that and I was crying because I realized what the film was doing with just auditory and visual manipulation. And it was hitting it out of the park and then he steps into the the burnt out body as he's leaving that little church and then outside there's a man retching vomit which represents a, a, a nuclear poisoning yeah. and everything that is the uh, pun intended I guess fallout of, of his creation um, is absolutely amazing and I, and I do agree with how wonderful it is that Robert Downey Jr. got to be a part of this and sort of spread his wings after the MCU. I don't know if either of you have watched the interview with him and Mark Ruffalo currently on Variety with Actors on yes. Actors. And yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr. is not uh, subtle at all about how they both were in the MCU. And he says, you know, I think I speak for both of us when I say that, you know, we both were involved with a with an institution or a product and how now we are a part of projects that we are truly proud of that we simply were drawn to by the virtue of the great artists that are helming them. And you can just see how happy they are that they're like, hell yeah. Like we, like we had that great experience yeah. with the MCU, but now we're having this great experience with playing parts that we don't get offered. Yeah. And and everyone is, seems to love it. And I'm, I'm very happy for them. Uh, but yes, the, Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt. It's just. Uh, yeah, I think when it came out, I was like, I think this is the only movie so far that 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 kicks out John Wick Chapter four. And it has remained so to this day. So Christopher Nolan, I salute you. Good God. Yeah, um, I think I think that that's one of the things that I think for me. I always go to like the emotional place in choosing my picks. I think that that's kind of the groundwork that I look for. Yeah. But I will agree that what makes a movie truly outstanding is when all of the pieces of the machine are working in sync and are well oiled. And I think that that Oppenheimer really fucking blows that out of the water. Like you said, the sound design, I do remember that moment where the sound cut out and it, you know, it just, it uses all of the tools in Christopher Nolan's arsenal. Goddamn right. To fucking make this uh, behemoth of a fucking subject, yeah. you know, so visually um, and narratively compelling. And it, like I said, like that was the first movie of the year that I gave five stars to. And I was like, like, it, and like from past lives, giving it a four and a half star, like I still like was like, that's my number one. But Oppenheimer, five star, just right off the bat. Yeah. So. Uh, do we think it's sneaky kind of about him making the Dark Knight? What? Hmm. Like, I don't think that's Explain. what it's about, but I think the idea of someone who is has a vision for something that they work to execute perfectly and bring all of the right people together 
and they oh, create yeah. this thing. It's an allegory for the superhero genre. Yeah, but then what it's done right. to... Like, obviously, oh. I don't think that he made this movie because of that, and I don't think that's it's an the interesting primary... Look at it, but I think that that's maybe yeah. a way that Nolan relates to the movie. Um, yeah, I could see that. I don't know. I, I thought about that a little bit after the movie came out. You know... That's that's fascinating because that reminds me of a little bit of film trivia. Have have either of you seen Ron by Akira no, Kurosawa? No, I need to. What? Ron. It's a no. Kurosawa movie. Oh no. So that's that's his adaptation of King Lear. Mm. And if you're familiar with that story, it's yeah. about a, a guy who doesn't want to relinquish his kingdom, but finally does to his children, and then they end up basically creating this massive civil war because they cannot get along. Yeah. It's like Succession. And people have talked yeah. about. People have talked about if that film was an allegory for Akira Kurosawa's career because he sort of created this massive Japanese epic of, of massive scale. But the more he kept doing them, the more that Japanese film critics began to criticize him for basically just making American films, even though he, he was set the copied template. by yeah. Americans. And so Ron is, they were talking about how King Lear is Akira Kurosawa in the sense that he created this kingdom and now basically his children, they're all infighting and now they're blaming him for being completely out of touch. So I think that, I don't know if that's what he was doing, but to your point, Zach, um, I, yeah, I don't know if Christopher Nolan was consciously aware of that or maybe if someone brought, brought that to his attention, but that is a fascinating Look at it where, yeah, he, he he so carefully crafted this thing that all people consider to be perfect. And then it ended up more or less kind of destroying the, uh, the world I of guess, cinema. The, the film world for yeah. a bit, combining with Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing film. is the fact that he cast Downey. I'm like, is this is he doing it on purpose a little bit? Um is he is he performing a temporal pincer movement? Wow! That's what we're really asking. <laughs> temporal pincer movement, baby. Because I loved, I love when we rewatch Tenet and one of the characters starts talking about Oppenheimer, and we're like, oh my god, temporal fucking pincer movement. It's all, it's all in the stars. It's like the inception um, of the. And it, well, it was Robert Pattinson universe. that gave him that book, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Pattinson gave him the uh, American Prometheus. The this is all just crazy. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So we've we've also, run we, we've run so fucking just, long. What, what? What? Well, we have some time to cut for like the 20, oh, yeah. 20 no. fucking people. It's, it's took. gonna be long though. How, how long are we? Right the past now? four hours. Shut the fuck up. Four hours. Shut the Good fuck Lord. up. <laughs> Listen, it was oh a year. God, it it's was longer than Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> it was a year of long films. You it get really a long was. episode. It really was, guys. Guys. I really Scorsese, Nolan, I love you. Please stop doing this to me. <laughs> this is like it's a whole day. You've I seen, have to, you've seen how small aside, her bladder is. I have to set aside a whole day in order to watch just one movie of yours. What the fuck? Uh, I don't have time like that anymore. <laughs> One, I'm look right now. I'm, I'm looking at the cast of characters, and it and it honestly blows my mind. Yeah, uh, Dane DeHaan, incredible. But uh, James James Remmer, who is a classic that guy's who was uh, in Warriors. He started off in Warriors. The one of my f the things that sticks with me about Oppenheimer is when his character, where he plays um, General uh, Henry L. Stimson, 
mm-hmm. and he's talking about which cities are we going to target oh. to to bomb. Jesus, and I think he says Kyoto, right? Uh, I think yeah. he says yeah, Kyoto. I think he says. Uh, these are the cities that we're thinking of bombing, but I'm going to take Kyoto off the list because that's a city where my wife and I like to honeymoon. Yeah. And that was a line that was not in the script because that actor, James, did research into his the person he was actually portraying in real life and found out that they honeymooned in Kyoto and told Christopher Nolan, like, do you think it would be okay if like I threw in this line? And Christopher Nolan loved it. And kept it in. Wow. And I think one of the most powerful lines of the film actually just came from one of the actors. Yeah. Who was so into the material yeah. that he wanted to just add this little extra and thing. And like a small and role. it's fucking yeah. insane. Yeah, exactly. There are no... Uh, yes, exactly. Oh, wait. Casey Affleck, though? Oh. I fucking love I mean, I could go movie. on and yeah, on. Gary so Oldman. Many, yeah. uh, so, we've now come to the end of our lists. Um, yes. And it's time to launch ourselves into our year in review month. That's true. Um, does anyone have a pick for the film that we would like to focus an episode on? Well, I would, I would ask who, who went first last year? That was I, you, Zach, I went right? first last year, so I would like I to not, second. I would like to not go first. Okay. I don't want to go okay. first. So, Mick, because you don't I'm, want to go I, first. I want to see all of us strangers in theaters before I make my <laughs> pick. <laughs> um, okay. Well, if I must go first, let me go ahead and pick a movie here. Oh, boy. Um, you know what? This is going to be kind of out of pocket. But I think this will be a movie that I think all of us will enjoy. And it's a movie that I think deserves to be talked about um, and do a little bit of a deep dive in. But I would actually like to talk in depth about Gareth Edwards, the creator. Nice. Okay. Excellent. I think I think because Alexis, you haven't seen that yet, right? I have not seen that yet. No. Okay. Yeah. I think that could be kind of fun. Right on. Well, yeah. Gareth Edwards, the creator, obviously came out last year. Stars John David Washington, Gemma Chan, and Allison Janney, as well as Ken Watanabe. Um, and you can find it on Hulu. Uh, so I'm very excited to talk about this movie. Again, I, I felt bad not putting on it on my list. I'm glad it ended up on yours, Mick. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Hell yeah. Why, well, I think 2024 has uh, some big shoes to fill. Okay, I have one side note for this can you can you just appreciate how fucking stacked these lists were with female directors and writers yeah like yeah. No, i thought about that too incredible yeah. like even just my honorable mentions still so fucking stacked like crazy yeah I, yeah it's been a good year for um women in film the lady's been doing it we're just fucking killing the game the lady's been doing it yeah two two of our also, number ones directed by women yeah I will say another sidebar is, you know what? I'm less angry now that uh, Dune got postponed because, fuck. Would have thrown a wrench into there things. Was not a, yeah. There was not a lot of room. No, there really year, wasn't. So, the, I saw so, the new trailer, yeah. too. Looks fucking phenomenal, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we'll see you on the next one, everybody. 